Sorry for the delay. We're just returning from executive session and excited to kick off our brand new school year with uh, the school committee meeting of September 8th, 2022. So we're about to begin. And what I'd like to do is just say that we were in executive session uh, for the purpose of discussing uh, strategy with respect to collective bargaining for units A and E as an open meeting might have a detrimental effect on the bargaining position of this public body. And now we are going to proceed with our planned agenda. So the first item on the agenda is our superintendent's report. Great. Thank you very much. How are we doing? Doing well. Doing well. It's great to come back to school. I'm in the, I have two items right up top here and a few other items around the opening of the school. Um, I know a lot of folks have wanted to talk about transportation. So that is my second item, so I'm gonna get right to that. But first we wanna do a warm welcome and I would invite some of our new administrators uh, forward so they can be introduced. So, Mr. Small, okay. So it's with great pleasure that I have an opportunity to introduce three new CPS administrators, Ms. Heidi Black, who's the Interim Director of Student Services. Well, I'll give everyone a wave. You know, Ms. Black, give everyone a wave. <laughs> <laughs> <There> we, <laughs> well done, thank you. Uh, we also have Mr. Derek Small, who's joining us as a CHS assistant principal. Mr. Small. Uh, and Ms. Sarah McShay, uh, coming to us from the CHS team chair administrator. Ms. McShay. So we welcome all of them. We also have one more administrator who had uh, a family obligation tonight. Uh, she'll be coming at the next meeting. That's Danielle Kay, who's a new loose team chair administrator. So it's my pleasure to turn it over first to Interim Director of Student Services, Megan Byrne, for the introduction of Heidi Black. Good evening, everyone. Thank you. I am so thrilled to welcome Ms. Heidi Black, who is joining us as the Interim Assistant Director of Student Services. Ms. Black um, has a long special education career uh, and also an administrative one. So prior to retirement, she was the Director of Student Services at the Norfolk Agricultural High School. She was also uh, a team chair at Medfield High School, the out-of-district coordinator at the Wellesley Public Schools, and spent uh, approximately 25 uh, years in Newton before that. Uh, in her personal life, she served as a uh, school committee member in Needham for 12 years, and she just brings uh, a tremendous wealth of experience to us. She's going to be working to support um, students in our out-of-district placement, supporting us with our tiered focus monitoring this upcoming year, and also um, helping to mentor a lot of our in-district student services coordinators as well. So, thank you so much, welcome to Heidi. Hi, thank you, thank you so much. Just wanted to say to you how delighted and thrilled I am to be back working uh, in the district. I have the um, ability to not work or to say yes to the kind of work that I want to do. So it's really, really nice for me to be here where I feel like I'm a good fit and I'm excited to work with all of you and all of your students and families this year. So thank you. Thank you, Ms. Black. Thank we you. are delighted and thrilled to have someone with your experience and enthusiasm joining. Thank you. That's nice to be on this side. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling you might say that. <laughs> And uh, it's my pleasure to introduce CHS Principal Jeff Sperling for the introductions of Mr. Small and Ms. McShay. Thank you. I'll introduce uh, Sarah McShay first. Uh, Sarah joined us from Stoughton. Um, I'll let her kind of explain her experience there, but a, a, a great fit for where we are as a school right now and some of the new programs that we've added, some of the structures that we're looking to add and um, kind of revamping a little bit of the special ed department. And, and Sarah comes in with the experience, but also the vision. Um, she's been in the building almost every day since hire. 
despite my recommendations, to enjoy some summer, because once we get going, we're going. Um, but she's already made huge contributions. She's going to be fantastic. So uh, I would like to thank uh, Shona Belenke, who stepped up last year as the interim team chair um, and really helped us out uh, when we needed it. So, um, but welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Yeah, so again, my name is Sarah McShea. I'm the new uh, student services coordinator here at the high school, and I'm super thrilled to be here. Um, just the support around me and the families, the students, it's just been a lovely experience. And I was in Stoughton, it's okay, we don't have to talk about it, um, for the last, <laughs> <laughs> for the last um, eight years, but I was a special education teacher for 14 years, and in Stoughton, we wore many hats where we ran meetings, we did evaluations, we kind of did it all, So and also taught five classes. So. Um, with that experience, you know, I'm just really excited to be here. So, thank you. All right, wonderful. Thank you, Ms. McShay. And thank you to Ms. Malenke. And then Derek Small, again, before I start with Derek, I would like to thank Josh Vogel, um, who again served our students um, expertly as an assistant principal and, and was a huge mentor to me in my first year. So, thank you, Josh. Um, Derek also joins us from Stoughton. Um, mm. Sorry, Stoughton, but we got two good ones. <laughs> um, and again, a lot of experience uh, both as a teacher but also as uh, one of their deans over there for a number of years. Um, again, like Sarah, Derek was able to really sort of bring his experience with him from day one, take a look at how we were doing things and kind of make some suggestions. But um, the piece that struck me right away, actually with both of them, but seeing Derek in action a little bit more is his immediate connection with the students. Um, already knows names, they're already coming up and saying hi to them. Um, just makes it a point to really be out, be visible, and, and develop those connections, um, while certainly still holding kids accountable, which he's done early and often as well, but um, really nice fit for where we are as a district now, and again, I think his expertise and experience will really help us move forward, so welcome, Derek. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, as Jeff said, I'm Derek Small. I come from next door. We won't talk about it. Um, <laughs> but I spent my entire career prior to coming to Camden Stone. Uh, as a teacher, I taught in the, our emotional support program uh, and also our alternative ed program. Uh, then transitioned into the Dean of Discipline role, which I have done for the last eight years over there. Um, so I've grown a tremendous amount as a administrator um, in was so excited when this opportunity came up. Uh, I'm very thankful for Mr. Fullen, Mr. Sperling, and Mr. Fitzgerald. It's, uh, couldn't be happier. Um, I, I've said it to probably everyone I've met. I've never seen a more welcoming community <coughs> anywhere. Uh, you know, and not just to me, but to everyone. Like the, the freshman orientation day when they came in, and the older kids are cheering for them, and it, it just. It's such a welcoming community that I'm so excited to be part of it. So I thank you all for the opportunity and look forward to doing some great stuff. Well, thank you, Mr. Small. We want to thank both of you. We're thrilled to have the talent, the work ethic, uh, you know, joining our team. And we do have to say thank you to Stoughton for <laughs> yeah, sending you our way. Yeah. We appreciate thank it. Thank you. Excited thank you. to have you. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Okay. So next item is transportation. Definitely a hot button issue. Um, and uh, I, I wrote up something last night as, you know, try to, to, to capture where we are, uh, try to capture some of the sentiment of uh, the families that we've talked to and the, the challenges that exist there. Uh, so what I'll do is I'll read through my report here, uh, and then I'm going to turn it over to Mr. Marshall, who's been a point person uh, through this all as well, to uh, address some additional information. But bus transportation, it, 
let me back up, I should say. We've had a fabulous start. I want to thank our teachers, everything that's happening classroom experience-wise, the welcome, everything. I, I, you know, how's the start of school? Unbelievably, we're talking classrooms. Once we talk morning and transportation, afternoon transportation, that's where our challenge is. Um, you know, and we're going to get there and we're going to do it right. But I, I don't want to miss the fact that diving in and discussing this, that uh, our teachers and our staff have, I don't know, they, they're so refreshed and energized. And it's, it's really been the first year that we've returned with no masks and no layers of, uh, of uh, those elements of routines and uh, that we have had to live with over the last couple of years. So there's been an excitement and a joy that has really been uh, permeating. The challenges are really um, with the transportation. So here's, the, here's this uh, take on it. Bus transportation has been a significant challenge for the new year. We knew that we would need about two weeks to work out the bus routes and make adjustments to optimize service, efficiency, and safety. And we knew that the new bus company first student and its drivers would need a period of acclimation to our town. We knew that this would uh, uh, that this work would result in delays. So that reality has come to fruition and it's a clear area that needs immediate improvement. Our team in collaboration with the first student representatives have worked relentlessly to evaluate bus routes, review target times, and respond to parent guardian feedback. I want to thank all the families who have engaged in either phone calls or email correspondences uh, with our staff to help problem solve and offer suggestions. In particular, I want to thank Director of Finance and Operations, Steve Marshall, Transportation Coordinator, Brett McLeod, and our building administrators and office staff for the incredible work leading up to the school year and most recently the hours they have put forth recently on afternoons, weekends, and nights to rework routes and respond to family concerns. As a result of their work, our times have greatly improved each day. Today, our last run started 20 minutes earlier than, than yesterday. It was our best day yet and it's still not where we want it to be and not meeting expectations, but it's getting better. Good adjustments have been made and the great majority of our runs are going well, but certain buses, bus routes, and afternoon runs remain problematic. I want to acknowledge that some of our afternoon delays, which have reached a delay of 30 to 40 minutes, are completely unacceptable. That was our message to first student uh, today during our meeting. I also want to empathize with the families, especially those with very young students who are very rightly worried about their child's well-being and safety. As a parent of three, I very much know that worry. For all, afternoon delays also impact afternoon activities and work schedules. It's just not inconvenient. It's very disruptive. We need to do better, and there's an urgency to this matter that needs our full attention. We have asked for patience and we have apologized for the delays, but we're at a point where those statements only go so far. We will continue to do intentional work with first student and strive to improve our communication. Our theme for the year is to uh, look forward and embrace challenge. I didn't realize at the time that I delivered it on opening day that it would be so pronounced in the realm of transportation, but I try to remember myself. Those are important words when um, I'm really feeling for the families that are looking forward to seeing their kids come home in the afternoon on time. So we're applying this mindset to transportation. I assure you we will get this right. Today was a good meeting that had a number of action steps with first student. Uh, I've asked a lot of them. Uh, 
they need to meet the expectations of our community uh, and we are in working in collaboration with them so again today was a really good first step when we look at timing wise there's a number of challenges that have nuances and idiosyncrasies but the I feel like we can get there now what, what we also know is that when there's a problem area uh, it sparks a lot of questions and inquiries as folks dig in and look for a root cause or uh, it just creates a lot of wondering that's happening so I just want to turn it over to Mr. Marshall at this point he's going to address some of those questions that have come up uh, thank you Mr. Fullen. Um, so I really just want to highlight some of kind of how we've got here. There have been a lot of questions as to um, why uh, did we make a change from Connolly to first student and, and how all of that happened. So um, under mass procurement law, chapter 30B specifically, any purchase over $50,000 requires a competitive bid process. There's two options when we go out to, for a competitive bid, um, an invitation for bid in IFB or a request for proposals in RFP. Um, we chose um, an invitation for bid. Uh, the requirements of invitation for bid are that you have a responsible and responsive bidder, and then it goes to low bid. So for the first time um, in over 20 years, might be longer than that, um, we had uh, competition in the bid. Previously, Connolly was the only uh, vendor that had ever bid on transportation in Canton. Uh, so this was the first time. So. Um, we reviewed uh, two bids that we received, uh, actually had um, town council review both of the bids that we received um, and ultimately determined that both uh, bidders uh, were deemed to be responsible and responsive. And so at that point, uh, we had to choose uh, the low bid. Um, at no point uh, did the district determine that we were, this was not a cost savings measure. It was never intended to be a cost savings measure. Um, the first year, so this is a three-year contract. The first year of the um, of the contract is nearly one point four million dollars. Uh, the difference between the two bids in year one was just twenty four thousand dollars between the two bids. Um, through our budget process prior to um, receiving any bids for transportation, we had anticipated a three hundred thousand dollar increase on our transportation line just due to increases. Um, in fuel and um, the increase in vehicle cost. So we have continued to see an increase in, um, in costs to transport our students. Um, so that uh, difference between of $24,000 still would have resulted in um, over a $200,000 increase to our transportation um, line for yellow bus transportation. Um, we did uh, meet with first student um, beginning in June uh, we met with them again in the beginning of August. We, uh, our expectation of first student was to maintain as close as possible the existing routes that we had with Connolly. That was our message uh, to first student and they did um, try to maintain that. Uh, we do have some differences in this year versus last year. Uh, one of the largest being that Hanson moving um, to the late school um, from loose when they tried to mimic last year's roots that has been a large concern that is why we are seeing some very you know difficult challenges specifically with the loose and the Hanson roots um, because that late school also with the St. John's roots the late um, school has typically been the school that the St. John's roots are run off of so last year Hanson and St. John's roots were combined this year we've combined with loose and the way that those uh, routes are running across town does not make sense. The opposite. 
opposite. Sorry. Um, <laughs> um, so Hanson being the late school this year, Luce being the late school um, last year. Sorry for that. So, um, but that is one of the reasons that we are learning as we are reviewing these routes and going through these routes and looking to see why are buses crossing town, coming back in different directions, and we're working with first student um, at, through all hours, honestly, to try to um, to make improvements to the routes. So I think just a few other uh, topics that have come up. Um, you know, the, there are things that are, we have a new transportation provider, um, but it just a question that came up. We do have some GMS students that ride with uh, CHS students that's been in place for about eight years. Mm -hmm. um, when start times were changed, so that, that's not something that's new. We just wanted to talk about that. Um, and then our service with St. John's, Right, it's by law and, and something that like, for, it's been for decades. So it certainly brings about all different types of, of conversation. Um, you know, the bid process, other routes that may be involved, um, and kind of having the discussion today with, with first student. Uh, the real big expectation is um, we want to do a better job communicating. We need to know where buses are on the route. We ask for them to have early access to that app district-wide so we know where buses are um, so that we can give a, a heads up to parents. We've been trying to do that a little bit, but it's after a phone call and after kind of that calibration. We want to know where they are. Um, but like I said, today was much better. Um, there's also our, part of our protocol is um, if you have a kindergarten student, uh, there needs to be an adult at the bus stop that knows the child, that we have the kindergartner greet that, that person. If that person is not there, uh, that student goes back to the school and meets, you know, is with the principal and they call um, called home to work on that. Some of the things that can happen if, if that route has to happen or if that circumstance has to happen, it, it will put back a run by like say 10, 15 minutes to do that. So those are some of the new things at the start of the year that have always been there and have worked out, but I think there's more pronounced. There's, um, you gotta be familiar with the area, you gotta know uh, there are certainly new, some new developments uh, that are in process that we've been working with folks. Um, but just wanna re-engage, there's an acceptable level. I opened up and I said, we're reaching a tipping point here where I understand we're five days in, but when we get the emails or the, or the phone calls, there's real emotion to it. And, Again, as a parent, as an administrator, you know, we gotta do better. And it, it can't be just words like, what can we do to make sure that happens? So we've been on sites. Mr. Marshall rode one of the buses today all the way through. Um, got a first-hand look on, on some of the, the elements that were happening. Um, we've had administrators record times. And that's what I asked them as well. Um, we want the data. So if you have a target time, did you meet that target time? And are you off by five or 10 minutes? Is it, there's a lot of factors in Canton that they're getting used to. They know what a Monday looks like with, with traffic. We've had rain, you have all these different elements. Um, but what I can tell unequivocally, we, we have improved each and every day, but there can be no room for errors. You can't miss a stop. You can't arrive 10 minutes early and take off. Um, there's just certain expectations that need to happen. So, some of the data review, um, we have the capability if we have a, a bus that is particularly late, um, they have a GPS sensor tracking system, so we can see like, all right, where did we lose time 
on that uh, on that bus route. But you know, if if tomorrow follows the trend, tomorrow will be even better. Um, ordering the buses when they arrive. So um, happy to take some questions with it because I know that this is a, a topic. If it didn't really kind of surge as much as it did, it probably would have been its own agenda item. But I wanted to make sure it was top of the order within the uh, superintendent's report. Yes, thank you. And I know we have some public comment on that tonight. And certainly, uh, I, I, I just like to say, I know even last year, some of the discussion, it, and, and certainly Mr. Marshall, you laid it out in terms of the reasons why the decision was made to go with first students. There were other benefits that were also solving a lot of the discussion last year um, where there were pain points around buses, um, particularly this year with this contract. We got some things that we wouldn't have gotten with Connolly low bidder or not, but with, with this first student contract, and correct me if I'm wrong, we have the opportunity to have three cameras on the buses that offer both audio and visual um, information, which is very helpful, bullying, safety, other reasons. Um, that's one thing. Uh, another thing, I believe, is there was the ability to have an extra bus that allowed some continuity <coughs> for service when we were concerned about the amount of um, uh, buses available to transport students during school or extracurricular activities? That That is true. Um, we, we have been utilizing an additional bus um, for the last, since Thursday. Which so helps us fill days. a lot of gaps, right? And then the third thing was the availability of this app, that once it is up and running and we do work out the kinks, we'll be able to better predict and understand where the bus is at all times for parents, for students. Um, which is being worked out right now and I think scheduled to launch in October. Um, that, like that. that is true, um, depending on how long it takes us to really, as we, we don't want to really start implementing with the app until we get the roots um, truly nailed down um, because it will cause more confusion and it is a lot of work on the back end to get the app up and running. Um, we are working to get it piloted as soon as possible um, so that uh, district administration principals have access a uh, real live time and then we will begin some piloting and um, and get that out as quickly as we can to the community. There's always risk and reward with any change you make so I am really um, grateful for the work that's gone into taking a look and making sure we had a competitive bid, um, bid process. It's very disappointing that we started um, the way that we have but I am cautiously optimistic that I mean there's been a lot of work in the back end to try to make this right and I'm hoping that that's the direction we continue. Are there comments or questions? I'll just ask a question. In terms of the, you know, so you've mentioned that sounds like some routes are particularly problematic in terms of crisscrossing town. Okay. So in terms of if I had a child on that route, mm -hmm. if how how is it going to be say reevaluated? So for example, I'm thinking, do you you know the existing route is potentially problematic? Do you go back and look at the previous route, like under Conley? Do you compare it? So how would you go about sort of addressing some of those key concerns and, and really getting resolving it sort of sooner rather than later? So what, what's the thought, pro what will be, and what is, and what will be the thought process? Yeah, so when we met today, we were actually going to put a side-by-side -side view of each student, um, each stop uh, for this year's AM and PM stops against what they looked like last year so that we can cross-reference. Um, so that's where we're starting. One of the problems is, um, the timing in order to make changes and to be able to effectively communicate out to everybody that needs to know is difficult. So it's really like work that starts happening on the weekend and then we need to communicate that to everybody that needs to know and then so it's not just, you know, we fix this route tonight and, and it, you know, there's a large impact um, and those route changes. So, 
you know, we have 18 buses running, but they're running three tiers right now. Um, so they're running, you know, three tiers in the morning, three tiers in the afternoon. And so everything impacts um, something else kind of with the domino effect. And I, and I think one of the things when, when you're in this transition, there's such attention to it. Um, the one tactic is we did it today. We, we had a certain run that we just wanted to get our eyes on of, of where it was. So Mr. Marshall jumped on the bus and he got a lot of good firsthand information. And there's something sometimes you, one I would say if anyone has a, has a circumstance where they have a question, continue to communicate with us. It, it has helped to sort of target a certain bus or a scenario. Um, I truly, like Mr. Marshall has had the great majority of the questions. Tell me what you're seeing, what you're thinking. And it has led to those adjustments that we made the announcement around. Um, these are buses though, and some of our roads are tricky. And as he learned today, what what might seem feasible, and what you're saying a Honda Civic is not feasible in a, in a bus. So it might have to go by a certain house to circle back uh, to, to make sure that there's a level of efficiency where it happens. And, and you know, from a, a younger student, it's like, it's my house and we just went by it. Um, and it, there's a there's a rhyme and a reason sometimes when you're when you're doing those drops. Sometimes where the where the stop is, what side of the road, all of those things are, are factored in. Like you said, he learned a lot today and shared it a lot with us. Um, but you know, we're we got a really high expectations for first student. Uh, we made that clear for them, you know, to advocate on behalf of the, the families. So uh, again, keep trying to get things better and the principals and the office staff um, just a special note to them because they've been out there with their notepads recording times and talking to bus drivers and uh, talking to the students and the office staff in the buildings um, have been feeling so many phone calls and they are the, the first line of, of that emotion oftentimes so I want to give kudos to them because they're such a calming presence um, but it's a lot it's a lot it's a lot for families it's a lot for the students um, teachers have, have pitched in it's been a lot for everyone but um, we're going to be on day six tomorrow and it's going to keep getting better mr Fullman, just to comment on the communication point that you just made because i think that's really critical and for the community to be guided into what can they do and what is the best route for them to get information maybe we can talk a little bit about that because i think that the questions are there and maybe people don't know where to go or how to best communicate and maybe they're going to the one phone number they have and that might not be the best route for you guys as you're coordinating and trying to figure everything yeah. out and i know it's difficult because we have an archaic system that does not allow us to reach out to all of our camp all the families in particular target so we might need to know who we're dealing with and who we need to call back so maybe you can talk to the community or guidance of what you want or mr I, I, so any communication, any um, questions, comments, concerns right now can come directly to me. Okay. Um, my number and all of my contact information is listed on the website, so um, please reach out to me um, directly. I will say that I, I understand that one of the challenges is effectively communicating when a particular bus is delayed. Um, we've had all hands on deck outside 
getting students on buses, making sure that our students are safe, and that has, you know, that provides for a challenge of trying to get back indoors, sit down at a computer, and get a communication out um, in, a, in an effective time. Um, we talked about this today, and we were, you know, we knew a bus was late, it's 3.40, and um, by the time, you know, somebody comes in and says, I need to send this message, it's already four o'clock and it's 20 minutes, and that bus route is gonna be done in five minutes. And so, um, I, you know, I'm not, attempting to make excuses, but that's the reality of what's happening and the reason for the delays. We are working on better communication system of um, building uh, distribution lists by bus routes. Uh, we do not have those set up yet, so once we have distribution lists by bus routes, then we can um, you know, more easily send out communication for a specific route, as opposed to right now sending entire district communication, which sometimes can lead to um, you know some more fear um, if everybody thinks that a bus is now running 30 to 40 minutes behind, but in reality, that's only really two or three buses out of the 18 buses that are on the road. Um, and so we're working to make those improvements as well. Right, that makes a lot of sense. I just wanted to ask you to um, comment for a quick second about when you're mentioning sometimes the way that the bus routes work don't work the same as a car, or maybe, either, I know there's been some questions about buses possibly leaving the town only to enter back in, and I think you, you gave me a great um, answer to, to why that might be, and I thought it might benefit others to hear. Yeah, that's the... Yeah, so there's a road in Canton, Getchell Way, um, that uh, is a, is a uh, home that's, that's in Canton. Um, it is a Canton taxpayer, I can promise you that. Um, there is no other way to get to that location other than uh, driving through Randolph, it is all the way past the Randolph movie theater. That stop is the corner of Vine and High, I believe, in Randolph. So the stop that's listed on the route is in Randolph um, because the bus cannot go down Getchell Way. Um, and so uh, that is um, an area of concern for one of our routes. I think we learned today that it was adding 17 minutes to that um, middle school route. Uh, we are working right now to change that um, and provide some alternative transportation solutions for that family so that we can speed up that route. So um, that is a specific area. You know, I will say that, um, you know, if you are a 35 pound kindergartner riding on a big school bus, going down York Street um, is a much different ride than riding in a passenger vehicle. Um, it, it's, it doesn't, you know, it's, it's a bumpy ride um, and that's the nature of uh, these large school buses that we have. Um, trying to make tight turns, coming, you know, through cul-de-sacs. Uh, there's a lot of roads that we just can't go down. Um, I was, we were trying to go through a cul-de-sac today. There was a landscape truck that was parked. Um, no way. Um, and so what do we have to do? We, we have to back the bus, you know, down a small street um, to try to get out. And, you know, it adds time. So at the same time, I, you know, I'll say thank you to our bus drivers. Um, yes, we have made some mistakes that we need to correct. Um, this is a difficult job in some cases. Uh, there's discipline, um, you know, areas of improvement for discipline of students on buses. Um, you have kids that are, you know, yelling and screaming behind you, and you're trying to navigate some very difficult roads. I think we've all driven these roads in um, traffic. Uh, the afternoons are, uh, you never know from one day to the next what you're going to get. Uh, there was two detours, you know, yesterday in town um, that we, you know, that we don't know about until you get to them. Um, you know, so there's a lot of different pieces um, that play into transportation. So again, not an excuse. We need to do better. Our routes need to account for those items, right? We can't be running up to the second 
um, we need to have some some room in between um, our tiers, and um, I think that we're you know we're definitely getting there. Again, today was much better. It was not better for all. So when we say that today was better, we know that there were still routes that were um, you know significantly delayed, and, and we had challenges that were out there. Um, but overall, and looking at at the big picture, um, today was a significant improvement over yesterday. Um, and yesterday was a little bit of a setback as we introduced some new routes. So. Right, terrific. This information, I think, is going to be really helpful for a lot of parents and families out there. I have one last question. Um, with regards to some of the buses where you're having more discipline issues, has there been thought given to a bus monitor? Uh, in those specific situations so nothing has risen to the level of bus monitor especially like four days in right um, right can I clarify for yeah. you? so and part of the reason I'm asking is that you know going back and looking at the videos and all of the stuff suggests some major discipline issues when realistically like these are rambunctious kids yeah you know having an adult present who could actually counteract that before it becomes a huge issue, could be beneficial. So that that's really where that question. Yeah, I mean, from. so I think there's two pieces, right? One is if a route is expected to be 35 minutes long and it becomes 50, we just kept some kids on a bus for 15 minutes longer than what we needed to. They get, yeah. you know, they're mm -hmm. they're kids. Um, mm -hmm. So when I, you know, I suggest some discipline area, like a lot of these things can um, we can control uh, with one-on-one -on -one conversations and make sure, you know, it's it's not not crazy and but. Sometimes a bus, you know, gets rowdy. Um, we know that we, in the beginning, we did have some overcrowding. Um, we have worked, um, you know, as as far as I know, right now, routes, um, you know, have been capped at 55 students at the um, high school and elementary school. We do not have routes with 65 students on them. Um, if we had 65 students on a bus, it was because it was a route issue and kids got on the wrong bus. Um, not that that was their fault. That was our fault as well. Um, but we are working through some of those challenges as well. So I think as we continue to work out the issues, I think the discipline issues will kind of come down. But to your point, kids are um, kids are going to be kids. Uh, you know, I, I was on uh, a route with middle school, high school, and elementary school kids today, and I will say that you know the elementary school kids—they're—they're they're hilarious. They're fantastic. They're a lot of fun, um, but they—they they like to have fun. Like you know, school's out. Like where it's time to play. Like it's playtime, right? And they're on the bus, and um, and it's just you know. So I think it's just a learning um, curve for some of them too. You know, please stay seated in your seat. You know, those all of those types of, of gentle reminders. I'll give a pitch for the students. I, I think they've done a, a nice job. Um, I know that was really a, a point uh, of concern. You know, it's still early on. I know those expectations have been laid out in their opening day meetings. It's going be part of our district goals. Um, but yeah, r right now I think it's more, there hasn't been like a, an incident uh, per se. Uh, it's more about just Big time energy getting on the bus, making sure you're on the right bus, making sure you sit down. Like a seat's a seat. We need some help, right? <laughs> to go that, and, and we've had that discussion. Also helping and working to make sure folks know which bus they're on. Um, you know, getting off at a particular stop. But I think the kids have, have been really great, and they've been. There have been delays, and um, sometimes you're waiting at school for that bus to arrive, and then you got that energy and you're getting on the bus. But they've been really, really good. But that's that is one of the expectations this year that you know that the bus is an extension of the school, right? And those same expectations, and really want them to be respectful and know the safety issues that can arise with a, a bus driver. Uh, 
regard to that. And it's all about like if we want to get home and, and do that work, it's like today I was at the at the high school and we were calling out the, the bus numbers and at a certain point where socializing needs to end, we, our bus is going to be leaving. We called off bus four. Bus four is heading out. Gentleman ran by me and said, I told you that they're going. Yeah. Get really fast and, and <laughs> way down the, the bus, but it's it's a factor that these buses aren't going to get running, especially at the secondary level. Making sure you're ready and, and board the buses in a in a timely way. So they've done really well. Oh, students have been good. Right. Thank you. I'll I'll just hit these a uh, few highlights here um, to wrap up the superintendent report. Um, Canton Farmers Market has been incredibly gracious uh, throughout the summer. Um, as everyone knows, they're located on the, the front of the Rodman here on, on Sundays. Fantastic community event. Um, had the opportunity to visit a couple of different times. On August 21st, they hosted school committee members to meet the public. So then they held the back to school event, which was incredibly well attended. They had uh, little kid activities. They had an opportunity to meet principals there. There was the backpack. Uh, giveaway for fourth and ninth graders um, so just being there uh, and being part of that community and having the opportunities uh, to interact very casually um, it, it was a home run can't wait to do it every year I just want to thank those organizers uh, we always get good connections good relationships um, it's fun because they'll say you know is the, the loose principal here is the new JFK principal here and it that means something and just be able to do that backpack um, Giveaway again through CASA, uh, and then big shout out to Mr. Hughes and Brian Bousquet and the, the Wellness Advisory Group and the character crew who helped organize that. Uh, kids are really excited. They love the backpacks, has the Canton C on it. So just a big thank you to Canton Farmers Market for um, hosting the schools. And again, they loved it because they had so many people come through the market. Uh, and now if I could just not spend so much money every Sunday buying <laughs> items around there, that'll be good. Uh, just open a day under indicators of excellence that we couldn't be happier with the opening and the energy and the enthusiasm. We know the challenges of, of transportation as we noted, but last year was a really difficult, challenging year. We, we had all the coming out of COVID. We had, uh, we had behaviors. We had you know, learning gaps that need to be addressed. Just acclimation back to school. We had folks coming off complete remote going into the full day. Uh, it was incredibly, incredibly difficult. Uh, during the opening talk, just a real acknowledgement um, to the level of uh, sacrifice that our educators uh, and administrators engaged in on behalf of, um, you know, to make sure the students were served well. And I think everyone said, well, why was that the most challenging year? It, there's all adjustments that we had to go through COVID, but when you're trying to care for and meet the needs of a, of a student, there is so much energy that has to go into that. Um, and there's emotion to it and there's real commitment. And I'll tell you, that's, that's where it is. And for them to have what seemed to be a great summer and come back refreshed, excited, um, talk about that verbally, um, I don't know. It, it was one of those most prideful moments that I've had here in Ken. Uh, because it, it just showed um, how committed they are, how important it is to take care of ourselves wellness-wise and to refresh, and they were ready to go. They were welcomed by our link leaders. Uh, 
we had a fantastic opening. Um, had the opportunity to honor some folks who have played a big role uh, in our lives uh, every day, but also through COVID. Uh, and that was, we honored retired police chief Berkowitz, fire chief duty. Uh, we honored our new uh, police chief, Chief Rafferty, Dr. Muse, who's our school doctor. Uh, like I said, we had link leaders. We always start with students. And we had Julius Hicks um, provide some opening remarks. And uh, he was fantastic and showed uh, sort of the student perspective on how important that relationship is between uh, staff and students. So wonderful, wonderful opening. Uh, and it has simply continued. Um, the, other, the other element, as, as we get going, we love seeing in our district role modeling uh, older students uh, working with younger students. So uh, just something that we noticed in the first couple of days, instrument uh, demo day, it's a tradition where they visit, they go back to elementary schools uh, and really promote those performing arts. But also embedded in that was the launch of our new, um, during the school day, grade five music program. So Ms. Eckersley and her team and staff and performing arts were really, really excited about that. They just did a wonderful job, uh, and it's off to a great start to have that incorporated. It's going to provide greater access to music and the development, and we hope that they continue that all the way through. And I hope at some point down the road they return in other role models uh, at the particular school. So just a couple of important dates. You see a number of open houses listed there. We really, really encourage everyone to attend. Uh, you get a real good feel for the relationship and the, the educators. They love meeting the parents. Uh, it's so important to establish that relationship. We've had a number of open houses you know, for KM1, um, and that's off to a great start. But again, community engagement is a real key, so please, um, for folks listening, uh, if you can attend these, enjoy them. They're really well planned by the staff and the educators that are there. On September 22nd, we have our next school committee meeting. We have September 23rd as an early release day for pre-K to 12 professional development. And then there's no school on September 26th for Rosh Hashanah. And that is my report. All right, well, thank Thanks. you very much. And I will certainly say as an early read uh, from the students and the families um, and even the staff that I've spoken to, joy has permeated. You were right about that. Yeah. And i um, really thrilled that we're kicking off this year fresh and uh, hopeful and joyful. Thank you for all the work that you've done, that everyone's done to make sure that we went off without a hitch. Okay. Any other comments or questions? I have a comment. Yes. <laughs> um, I just want to say this first few, these first few days have been like no other. Um, there's this new feeling, that first day feeling that came in this year after everything that's happened. So thank you to all the administrators and teachers who helped the students really come to a different level of excitement for these first few days. It's great. Thank you, Ms. Cummings. Thank you. Two comments. Uh, first of all, thank you to all the staff that was at the farmer's market. I think that was really powerful, having been able to visit briefly. Um, anyone in the community be able to, to be able to come in, meet with their principal, some of the staff before, ahead of time, especially um, with some new leaders and possibly people new to town, I'm sure. That was, a, I think, a great, great thing to kind of ease the... Um, anxiety that people may have and an opportunity to discuss a little bit beforehand and also to comment to the JFK open house was last night and it was wonderful <coughs> it seemed extremely well well run and a lot of excitement and positivity there so. just a little addendum thank you Ms. Gallagher for the opening remarks I realize in going through and reviewing that uh, that was appreciated by staff thank you for being there
My pleasure. All right. Okay, so uh, moving on to the next item on the agenda, what I'd like to do, knowing that we have members of the audience who are here for public comment, and we also have, I believe, we have another person who was signed up to do virtual public comment. I'd like to exercise the option to move item H on the agenda up to the next one that we visit. And for the person who is at home who's planning to public comment, I'm just uh, providing an opportunity to prepare. I think what we'll do is we'll call on the folks who are in uh, session with us first, and then we'll, we'll, we'll try to make that virtual option work. Uh, so the first person I'd like to invite down is Miss Susie Joyce, uh, who is here to talk to us um, on the topic related to the bus. And, and, I'll, I stream, oh. yep. and I'll add, um, as the clerk, I will keep track of the time. So in public comment, everyone is afforded five minutes. I just have the timer running. Great. And um, that's it. Yeah, and that what I was going, that helps me. And the other part of my statement was just going to be that public comment uh, is meant to be an opportunity for any member of the public to share and express an opinion on uh, matters uh, that are within the school committee's purview and or on the agenda for the evening, which are essentially one and the same. It's not an opportunity for necessarily a Q&A or dialogue, but certainly everything that is shared is taken to heart and considered. Okay. Uh, good Welcome. evening. My name is Susie Joyce. I reside at 31 Brookswell Road in the Pump Bog section. And um, I do want to make a clarification with regards to them having um, middle school and high school combined buses. In the morning, yes. In the afternoon, no because last year my daughter an eighth grader never went to the high school. She did in the morning, she had high schoolers on our bus in the morning, but not in the afternoon. Um, the kids right now who live in Ponkapog and go to the Galvin, get on the bus at the Galvin, and they go the opposite direction. Galvin Middle School gets out at 2.15. Um, a friend's daughter got home at 3.10 today. That's, that's not acceptable an hour, almost an hour bus ride when we live two miles from the gallon. So that's issue number one with regards to that bus, the bus route. The second issue is after the second stop from the high school, you pass by the neighborhood. You pass by the neighborhood, you turn left on 138 at Rolls, and you go all the way down to Blue Hills to Green Street. There are about eight stops in our neighborhood. Um, I FaceTimed my daughter, who is now a freshman, at about 3.05 the first day of school. And I understand first day of school, things are a little crazy. Um, she was still on the bus. She was like, we were on the highway, which, you know, 14, doesn't realize, but crossed 95 and 128 to get home when she sees the neighborhood. And it's just a continuing process. There are a lot of stops in Ponky that probably could be consolidated to make that route quicker, to enter that neighborhood, make some stops, exit the neighborhood, and continue on to Green Street for the high school students. The, the middle school, I think that route needs to be changed completely for those kids to pay the money that we pay to ride the bus. Three, it's not acceptable that they're on the bus for an hour. At the very least, tomorrow, 
there should be a stop at 2072 Washington Street. It's the corner of Washington and Hubbard. My daughter has decided to get off on 138. She crosses 138, she walks down Greenwood Street, which is an ideal. It's not ideal that I pay for the bus and she's gonna have to get off at Washington Street, but at this point, that's an easy fix until this route can be changed. She can get off there, she can enter the safe enclave of our neighborhood and walk home without having to spend an additional 20 to 30 minutes on the bus. It's a 40 minute bus ride to go three miles. And to see essentially your neighborhood and your house be passed by. So I know, I thank you, I believe you rode that bus today. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Wasn't the route last year. Wasn't the route last year. And there were no Gallon Middle School kids on the bus last year. What with the high school kids on the afternoon? Thank you. All right. Thank you very Thanks. much. We appreciate it. Okay. The next uh, person who I'd like to invite to the podium is Ms. Teresa Wilson was also here to speak on the topic of the bus. Thank you. Um, again, my name is Teresa Wilson. I have two children that go to two different schools in Canton. Um, and I want to acknowledge a lot of work that's gone into resolving these problems by the, the team here. Um, but I've had a lost, a late, and a missing. It's hard to believe I only have two children. Um, I'm on a route that doesn't show up, so I appreciate that somebody got home at 3.30, but 3.30 the bus hadn't even gotten out of school yet. So there's a lot of work to be done. Right, so I, I appreciate what's gone into it so far, but I also want to point out we are a long way to go. Um, but one of the things I'd actually like to really address is that after we pass this crisis, because this isn't gonna last forever, right? We're gonna get past this ideally by tomorrow, but maybe next week, right? And when we're past the crisis, I would really want to ask all of you to take a look at some of the underlying causes and maybe even ask the school committee to say, what are the standards that we are really expecting to provide to parents? And what I mean by that is like, how long should a child be on a bus? Is it a half hour? Is it an hour? What, what is really the goal that we're, we're looking for so we know if we make the goal or not? Um, should every child have a seat on the bus? Is that a goal? Like, what are our standards that we're working towards? Should every, every elementary school actually has designated buses that are gonna be there at dismissal time? Is that a goal or not? So that's why I suggested to throw out that if there were goals identified, then they could be communicated to parents so we know where we are against those goals. Um, and my other suggestion is some type of a triage system for communication. So obviously it was discussed here that you know we don't have distribution lists per bus routes, but there's, it's kind of beyond that. In an emergency, I can't get voicemail when I have a lost or missing child. 
How many numbers do I have to call to say, I don't know where my child is? Because it's after school hours, so many times they're not picking up in the administration offices, and I understand that, but who is the number you call when there's an emergency, such as a missing child? Because I was very close to the police, which I kind of knew that wasn't the right number. But, you know, once you get voicemail three different times, you don't know which way to go. So these are sort of the things that I would really like after the crisis is over that we could kind of look at and say, how could we do better to not have this happen ever again? And, and again, I really do appreciate, Stephen, all the work you've done to, you know, try to resolve our problems, and fingers crossed we'll see a bus tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate the time that everybody's taking to be down here and share their experiences and suggestions. Next on the list is Ms. Mary Malloy, here to speak on the same topic. want to uh, make sure that we are addressing it because I didn't hear anything about it. Children are still arriving late at school. I didn't hear anybody mention that we're addressing that, but my daughter took the bus the first time yesterday. She arrived late, and guess what? She had a quiz yesterday in the morning. That throws you off, right? To walk into a classroom, everybody's staring at you, and you're late, and the teacher's like, why are you late? There's no communication to the school saying these children are arriving late. That could happen. We could look into that. Um, my child's been riding the bus for five years now. I've only received one communication from the town. I was told because of technology, we cannot receive communications. Not really acceptable in 2022 to be told you can't receive communication because of technology. I would really like to see that addressed so that everybody who rides the Canton bus gets communication when there's issues. Thank you. And I also want to make sure that everybody is aware that parents are still driving their children to school and parents are still picking their children up. So I know you've had improvements and I think that's great, but let's not get a false sense of security that we fixed it. Because I know for a fact, parents in every single district, every single school are driving their children and picking them up. Because children are, I mean, it's not right to keep on buses for over an hour and a half. It, you know, it really, is a problem in the morning when they get to school and they can't concentrate because they're thinking about that or they get off the bus for the first time. How was your day? I went on the bus, I didn't know where we were going. The bus driver pulled over and asked for directions. I saw a kid at my school who got on the bus and they told him to get off. Mom, that kid's a sixth grader. Don't you think a sixth grader would know if they take a bus or not? And I'm like, I would think so. Well, Mom, am I gonna get kicked off the bus? You're not gonna get kicked off the bus. So you need to make sure, I mean, you guys, what we're doing to our children is wrong, okay? It's really, you know, you can't put them off their game for the day. And then also, um, let's see what else I have here. And I just want to make sure that we're reviewing the route. 
When I look at a route and I see that you're, pick, you're leaving the school at 3.05 and your first drop-off is 3.05, I don't know how it's possible. So are we really looking at the routes and making sure that they are doable? Because when I look at the routes, I don't see how it's possible. I just ask that, you know, it's great that these, this new bus company is giving you it, but is there anybody overlooking it and saying, guys, that doesn't really make sense. It's not possible to do that. So I just ask you to take a look at it before we publish the new changes, when we do publish them, can just make sure that the entire community gets the communication on it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, so then the final person that we have for public comment, unless there's anybody else in the audience. Welcome. Jackie Singleton and I live at One Pinedale Lane um, and I have a child on the Galvin High School bus that was already mentioned. I also have one at the Hanson. Um, so I would reiterate most of the comments that have already been addressed um, and stated. I would say that I've had very good luck with communication, calling the superintendent's office and speaking with Ms. Hutchinson and Mr. Marshall. Um, I did resort to that after not hearing back from the transportation methods that I was supposed to use. Um, but I will say that everybody in that office has been very communicative when you do reach out via call, call or email. Um, I would just like to add my two cents on my elementary school student. So the middle school, to me it's unacceptable. I signed up for the bus. I've been a person who's paid for the bus since 2005. Um, I've had kids in the school system since then. And so at this point, I kind of assume it's the same year over year. I wouldn't expect to go from a 15 minute commute to an hour commute without some sort of communication. My middle schooler is on the bus for an hour. She also has been a student that's gotten off at 138, crossed 138, walked Green Lodge down into the Ponkapog neighborhood, which I would say is not a safe environment. Today, she did stay on the bus to see if she would get off at her stop, which she did. It was the full hour. She got home at 3.15. My other daughter is a third grader at the Hanson, and the bus arrives there late because the buses are already late. So she's not getting home till about 4.15, which for a third grader who's eight years old and having a long day of school anyway, and it's a late start, is now being compounded at the end of the day, which then just backs up homework and the 20 minutes of reading and everything else. So. I would urge everybody to do whatever we can to solve the problem. I told Mr. Marshall that I'm more than willing to serve on any committee or be part of a solution. You know, I don't want to be someone who just complains about it. I would like to work towards a solution, but I do think that all of us who did sign up to pay for the bus probably signed up under the pretense of everything that we've had in the past and not to then spend an hour on the bus um, because quite truthfully, I would have rethought it. I think my entire neighborhood would probably would have come up with a carpooling situation and not spent the money on the bus. A lot of us have been driving to and from anyway when the days are been that the bus has missed us entirely. So that's all I wanted to add. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Is there any, anyone else here who wishes to speak? Again, we do appreciate uh, everyone who takes the time to come down and share their thoughts and experiences with us via public comment. There should be one other person, Miss Mary Ellis Vickery, who I believe is online via Zoom, who's watching from home and would like to make a comment. Uh, 
just for anybody who isn't aware, we have been offering the option for hybrid public comment for a while now. I don't know just how long, but I feel like it could be six months. At least. Maybe more. Mm -hmm. yeah. But just in person and outside. Right. Yeah. Whenever we resolved, whenever we came back to meeting in person, we offer. We've been off since then. We've been offering the hybrid option. So we do appreciate that people are taking advantage of it both ways. Whatever makes most sense for the family or individual. So Mary Alice, if you can hear me, we are about to take you off mute and start the video. Can you hear me? We can. Can you hear us? Oh, Mary Alice, we are having just a little bit of a challenge hearing you now. At first, you were loud and clear. Yes. Whatever your results, whatever we keep asking in person. I think it's you. That's you. Yeah. I, I think she needs to move from your TV. Yeah. Um, are you able to share that with her?
Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. We do appreciate you taking the time to um, share your comments and your thoughts with us. They do matter. And as I mentioned at the very beginning, uh, although public comment is not meant to be an opportunity for discussion, the the entirety of your your commentary will be taken under serious consideration. And we we do once again want to thank everybody for taking the time. It matters. May I ask a point of clarification to Mr. Marshall? Sure. Okay. Um, so my question to you, Mr. Marshall, is should parents, in the event they are unable to locate their child, still call the dispatch, or should they be calling you? Because I think now we have two routes. Yeah, so um, they should be calling dispatch. Okay. If they can't get through to dispatch, call me. Got it. I, you, know, I, you know, I, I'm aware that dispatch has been, you know, they've been being flooded with calls um, from myself and everybody else as we're trying to locate um, buses. Um, so, yeah, if, if you can't get through somewhere else, um, absolutely call me. Um, I've been doing the best that I can to, to answer phone calls and emails um, as quickly and promptly as I can, um, prioritizing them um, by safety issues. Great. And that dispatch number, I think, is in, it was in the physical letter that we received, and it's on the emails that are sent, right? That is correct. And if I could just, so we have um, created a distribution list for the St. John's families. Um, so the first communication, um, I believe, that was sent uh, earlier this week uh, did make it to all of the St. John's um, families, and we will continue to um, make sure that all of our communication that is going to um, to our Canton Public Schools families will also be going to St. John's families uh, if it pertains to transportation. Thank you. Can I make, can I make a comment? Um, you received a letter. Not everyone has received a physical letter. Is that what you were referring to? E oh, I was email. referring to the email. initial bus passes when, because um, over the summer we received a letter saying this is the transportation and the letter included the note if there's an emergency or you need to get in touch with somebody, contact dispatch. If you have just questions, I think it was to go to uh, transportation at Canton That is correct. I just want to make a comment that I, I believe, and I could be mistaken, but I don't think that everyone in the community has received that boss pass or the letter, so we're working through that, and I wanted to acknowledge the fact that not everyone has received it, right? Correct, correct, correct. correct. You don't know what you're talking about. Um, I got it in August, like the no, late August. I just want to make sure that we are. Thank you for closing that loop. We've shared that with yes. the team, with administration, so we're aware that not everyone has received it and we're working through it. I cannot give any more details, I really don't know, but I know that it's been addressed, or it's being addressed. It was my understanding on that, that there was a resend because of the initial challenge and that it may have gone, and correct me if I'm wrong, May have gone to junk email for people, especially. No, that for that is correct, but I though. I do need to clarify. I don't know the answer honestly. If St. Okay. John's families in the past have ever received a, a bus pass. No, um, no, oh, okay. 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 So that is something yeah. that that. So that is something that I will work to correct. So. Um, okay. you know, I don't know why. <laughs> I I don't know why, honestly either. But um, that's something that I I will certainly try to address. Thank you for for clarifying. But I'm not a St. John's family. Yes, I yeah. Okay. So we so do have some Canton Public Schools families that yeah. have not received temporary bus passes either. Um, physical hard bus passes will be going out um, likely the third week of um, September. I only make the comment. It's not about me, but if it's happening to one family, it's probably happening mm -hmm. to more people listening. Sure. So I want to make sure that we can share that. Terrific. I mean, this is certainly a matter that we want uh, to do with absolute urgency and seriousness, and appreciate everybody's attention to it.
Okay, the next item on our agenda is going to be item E, which is our teaching and learning report. We have Ms. Deborah Rooney here with us to talk about the K through five curriculum guides. Excited to hear more. Welcome. else's computer, you know. Um, so good evening. Thank you for um, some time with you tonight. Uh, the document that I shared with you this evening uh, is an opportunity to just share with you all of the curriculum work that happened this summer. I'm not going to talk about all of that tonight. Tonight I just want to talk to you about the new curriculum um, guides that we created um, over the summer. So um, we uh, actually started this work pre-COVID, if you remember back a few years ago when we first started to uh, transition our literacy program to the new literacy program at the elementary level. At that point, I actually started working on writing up these curriculum guides. And then COVID came and we got a little busy. Um, so I was very happy this summer. I had a conversation with Superintendent Follin and said, this is on my list of things to do this summer. I, I am really going to try hard to get these done. Um, I'm very grateful to the support of Jackie Abrams and Sarah Donovan who helped with writing the pieces for their sections. Um, so we have now the first draft of our curriculum overviews for grades K through five. Um, they really try to give parents information, just enough information without overwhelming them, I hope, about the core subjects that we're teaching. So English language arts, math, science, and social studies. There's a lot more that goes on at elementary schools, but for this first go-around in creating these curriculum guides, we try to just stick to those four core subjects. Um, they are available on our website. I'm going to show you tonight how you can access them. We have translated them into eight different languages. Um, so those are all available on the website. Um, and let's see if I can do this. Um, so when you go to the homepage, cantonma.org, there's two places where you can access them. If you hover over administration, you'll see the drop-down menu for teaching and learning. You can access them there. And then you can also access them in the, the black important box. For now, they are also, there's a link also posted there. That link will eventually fade as we have other important things that come up during the year, but now at the beginning of the year where it's so um, important for parents to know what the curriculum is gonna be for the year, it is posted in that box as well. Um, so, I, this, is this link gonna work? Probably not. Uh, it should. It should? Oh, it's gonna work. All right, so this is what the page looks like um, on the teaching and learning page. So you'll see there's each grade level is listed here along with all of the translations. We gave you tonight a copy, I think, of grade one and grade five, so you have an example. Um, but each of them starts with um, an overview that we call the year at a glance. So that chart at the beginning of each document really helps you to see all of the subjects that we're teaching. So in reading, we have phonics, then we have phonemic awareness, and we have reading, and we have writing. So you can see really all of the different units that happen across all of those subjects across the entire year, um, as well as where the cutoff dates are for report cards and where we're going to be doing our benchmark assessments and where parent-teacher conferences will happen. So parents have that information all at one in one easy-to-see place. Um, it's important to keep in mind that we want teachers to have the flexibility to adjust their pacing based on student needs. So there might be a unit of study that the teacher's like, gee, we really just need another week, we're going to stay with this, this unit. 
Um, or there might be times where she's like, they got this, we're gonna move on, right? So the, the kind of timelines that are reflected in these documents really are intended to be guides and not mandates of deadlines. So just keep that in mind. Um, and then we tried really hard, I think, to give enough information that parents will understand um, what the pieces of the curriculum are with, without using too much teacher jargon and, and really short enough that they could actually process all the information and not have the document be 50 pages long. Um, so this is our first go round at it. We'll continue to work on them. At next summer, I'd love to think about art, music, phys ed, wellness, how do those play out at each grade level and try to add a little bit more information. We do have linked under each subject area the, a direct link to the state framework. So parents that want more information specific to what the standards say have a link right there that they can go to to get that information. Um, we uh, shared them this summer with a group of teachers and got some feedback from teachers before we shared them out with parents. So I'm very grateful to all of the teachers that took some time over the summer to read them for us. We got great feedback for them about pieces where they were like, yeah, this is this is a little bit not right, this is a little confusing. Um, so that was really helpful for us. Um, our next steps really is to, to continue to share them. Um, the principals will be sharing them in their s'mores. Um, this week, so you should see links to them in the s'mores. Um, and teachers will be sharing them at open houses, and so parents will get that information. We're not printing them up in hard copy for every family because they are 10 pages long, and we know the paper is at a premium right now. But any parent that would like a hard copy sent home can just contact me or their child's teacher. We'd be happy to print them up and send them home. Um, it's very easy to do. It's just a lot of paper, and parents don't want the physical copy. Um, and we will be continuing to work on them and, and growing them as we get feedback across the year about the pieces that are great and the pieces that feel like they need a little bit more information. So, that's curriculum overviews for elementary. Wow, I have wanted this. I wish I had this um, when my kids were in elementary school. I think this is just gonna be such a wonderful tool for parents uh, to be able to have conversations at home, help guide, better have conversations even with, with um, educators mm -hmm. about uh, the different topics and how to be a partner in their child's education. So I, I couldn't be more thrilled about this step forward. And, and, and perhaps it's been there all along, but to have it in this format right now is, is very, very welcome. And I look forward to seeing um, you know, how it's received, but also you know, how, how it can be um, uh, evolved over time to, to, to be as powerful as um, I believe it can be in terms of creating those partnerships. Bravo. Thank you. Other questions? Yeah, I was just say, I'm so happy to see this as well. So thank you. And, and I think it's it's accessible for parents. I think our goal ultimately is so parents understand what, what's going on. And they hear about something, their child brings something up for dinner. So I am just delighted with this. So thank you for all of this. This looks great. So yay. Thank you. I agree. Very amazing, and I can speak to JFK Open House that this chart was used last night too Great. for a presentation. So it's being spread out to be appreciated by more, and I'm sure many of the teachers. So thank you so much, and I love that it's in multiple languages. That's amazing for access and Yeah, and I, I one more thing: the s'mores, the open house, the website, the willingness to print, um, the marketing of this material. Fabulous. I mean, the, the, these tools are only as useful as people are aware of them and, and can take advantage. So the idea that school committee isn't the only place that we say this is really important. 
wouldn't take it straight to the caps per se, but we definitely <laughs> want to make sure that everybody's reading these. This we'll make sure they get shared. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So on to the next item on our agenda. That is the item F, unfinished business. And the first item under that is our policy section B, which is here for a third read. So, Ms. O'Halloran, Ms. Arbolita, Mr. Fulham, is there anything you want to say about the current draft? So, we have applied with Jim Hardy's assistance to many of the revisions from different members, ideas. Um, I think everything has been implemented at this point from feedback, but mm -hmm. please let us know if you have any additional questions or comments. We're trying to make sure this is all set before we move ahead to, to Section C and beyond. Um, I did have a question that I just noticed tonight, and I apologize for not catching it earlier. Uh, but it, and now I can't find the spot, what I showed you just before the right. meeting. Right. It mentioned that the school committee is made up of, um, that it is nonpartisan, and that's what I can't find. And my comment is that I remembered when I was elected being asked if I wanted to put my party affiliation next to my name on the ballot. Mm -hmm. And I believe I opted not to. But the fact that you can, are we overriding that by outright staying in our policy that it's a nonpartisan election? Do you see what I'm saying? Well, no, it, well if you have all researched it, that's one thing. I have a, a no, we haven't. End. We haven't researched it. Not we myself. Haven't, we haven't researched it. That was when before our meeting when you just mentioned that to me. It was the first time I noticed that. But if we're saying um, that we're not necessarily breaking it into parties, running against each other for it, I wonder I if that's over. What I was thinking is that we as a body are non-partisan, but right. we as individuals that might be running to be a part of this committee, we, right. we could be associated with a party. Is, but it shouldn't be representative of the committee, is my understanding. Or I'm just wondering, I'm just thinking about the nomination papers you can designate a party. Yeah. Is that what That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, see, I mean, I've never, because I mean, I, at a local, at this type of, it's not really relevant. Right. So I never have. Um, so I, I think it would remain nonpartisan. I, I think, you know, my favorite comment that somebody told me when they were running for the school board was there's no D or R next to a pothole. So I like to think of us in a similar way, like it's not necessarily relevant for what we were doing, but it caught my eye as if we're putting in our policy that we're nonpartisan, are we going against it by putting our party down when we're elected? Well, so, so one thing I want to say, because I just recently com completed the training uh, for uh, folks who are interested in running for election or are currently um, elected officials, and the general... Um, sense is that municipal um, government, so local government, and of course municipal employees are meant to govern in a nonpartisan fashion and generally run in a nonpartisan way, which stops them generally from ever in, even endorsing um, another political candidate because they're meant to be focused obviously on all. The, the entire citizenry, but I, I, I do think that there probably is wiggle room for choosing to do that because we have the option. Mm -hmm. I would say the message should be certainly that the work that uh, the school committees do should be nonpartisan. Really I absolutely agree. Right. Yeah. I did find the reference. 
Um, and the reason it caught my eye was um, it consists of five members, each elected on a nonpartisan ballot. So it outright talks about what we're running for. Um, so it suggests that in our in our town, we're going to have a nonpartisan ballot, which isn't technically true, because we could say if we're which party we're part of. I think was anyone true. else asked? I think that's true when they ran. What if they wanted their designation? I'm wondering when, if that I'm was the last one. Time. I think that runs. So when I filled out, no one asked me to fill it out or not, but it is a box, a box that you check. Box. Um, okay. It's up to you whether you. From okay. what I, my question is, right? Was just your Yeah. Wait. Oh I yeah. Don't remember. I don't know. That's no, right. now I'm forgetting. We're on the same cycle, but you just reran. Got it. Um, but you choose to cho check the box or not. Right. So I think that to your point, if we're saying that we're running, either we have to take that out, which I don't know if we can. I don't know if the town would allow us to do that. Or we are saying that the body is not partisan, but the member. It's the word ballot. Ballot, ballot. ballot is what's yeah. problematic yeah. about it. Right. I, th I think that's worth um, looking into whether or not the policy or the practice is out of sync. I think Mr. Marshall was going to make yes. a comment. Are, aren't all Canton elections nonpartisan? Municipal are supposed to be. They are. So it's so you're you're not running. It's not one party running against another party. So even if you even if you decide to um, you know designate your party affiliation, it's still a, a, a nonpartisan election because you're not running, it's not a, it's not a party versus party. Um, so it's just, so you have the right to do that um, as an individual, okay. uh, but it is a nonpartisan, the, the municipal, the entire municipal government um, is run in a nonpartisan way. So I, I haven't reviewed it, I haven't looked at any of that language, but I actually think that That's that language awesome. is probably correct. Okay. Um, and it's probably in line with the bylaws. Okay, I'm, I mean, I'm Certainly really comfortable. to look into, but that's just mm -hmm. fine. Um, if I may make a suggestion, I don't, if worst case scenario, if we found out that it was out of line, we can vote to bring it back for another vote. Yep. So perhaps we move forward with our vote tonight mm -hmm. and double check that it's okay. And then if for some reason we need to put it back on the agenda, we can bring it back, but this would allow us to move forward. Mm -hmm. Well, what we could do is pull BB out for a check. Or we can do that. What would you like to do? Can we keep it in and check? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we can vote any policy at any time, any amendment, so. What I, my hesitation and the look on my face <laughs> is that we had the wellness policy pulled mm -hmm. out forever and it mm -hmm. just kept, not forever, I'm sorry, but. Briefly, and it just kept detracted from the whole unit being able to move forward and being mm -hmm. able to move forward as a, a full unit. But I absolutely will will check into that. Well, and now now I'm thinking about it the way Mr. Marshall presented it. I was like, you know, this might just be a political science concept that's a little bit separate from the way that I'm connecting with the language. So it could uh, be. And is your thinking because this isn't a primary? It's not. There aren't two separate ballots that you're taking. Municipal mm, there are on one. Oh. State and national and federal government elections mm -hmm. can be and are sort of run in a partisan way, right. based on parties endorsing candidates and so forth. And you, you need but on the municipal, but in the municipal right. end, right, right, no, it doesn't matter. You don't need but I mean, a certain number of Democrats to vote you in to then run on that party platform in town government. 
Right, in, in town, town municipal government. So like right. it's city government, it is different. different. Right. Um, so it could still be municipal city government in That's the Commonwealth point. of Massachusetts. Oh, right. So Good point. But, Good point. Yep. but municipal town governments um, yeah. are nonpartisan. So even if you know the Canton Democratic or the Canton Republican Committee decided yeah. to help out a candidate, that does not make it a partisan election. Correct, because there could be another party from your, uh, another um, individual from your same party that could be running against you. There's the concept. All right, I'm good. Thank you. Great. Any other discussion? Just a couple of qu just quick things, and I, this has been so much work. I know there's a lot of heavy lifting. <laughs> I actually learned a few things as I read this, which I didn't know before. And just a couple of things I'd like to highlight. So in terms of our school councils, and maybe this is happening now, mm -hmm. but it seems it would be helpful to disseminate the actual school school council policies to the school councils. Maybe that happens now. But I think when, especially as I know we're, we're looking at school council elections coming up, Great. Um, there's a handful of policies that directly relate to the composition and what their, what their goals are. So I think that would be really helpful right out of the gate to disseminate those policies to school councils. The other thing I learned about school councils are um, agendas and, and meeting notes are supposed to go to the superintendent and then can be disseminated to the school committee. I would like, I would be interested in seeing, because typically we don't hear anything from school councils till the, the student, uh, the school improvement plans come forward. It would be interesting to kind of see what's happening along the way maybe. So maybe nothing that has to be, it's not a you know, must do, but there's a, maybe there's a folder on Share our, folder. exactly, just throw them in there as they come to you and then if folks want to review them they can. So, um, and the last thing I, um, it might be helpful to understand, um, policy BHC, which governs visits to schools. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that um, has, has been discussed in the past. So as school committee members, as in our role as school committee, we can't just go into a school. We can't knock on the door and say, hey, I want to come visit sure. you guys. Um, so we, there's very much a, a legal process, really, that we have to go through to visit a school. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd like to circle back. I know we've had Ms. Ms. Uh, Olson, who's the K-12 World Languages, she had issued uh, us an uh, invitation to visit. So it didn't happen in the spring. Um, I'm going to circle back and see if we could get that rolling again, because um, I think if we do get an invitation, if we can make that happen, that would be great, because it would be really wonderful to see what's going on in the schools. and. And uh, so I put that out there that so f so administrators and staff understand we can't come, just knock on the door. But if you invite us, we could try to make that happen. So, yeah, absolutely. And I would actually capture that. I mean, all of this is these are fantastic suggestions, and I I agree. I mean, I think the implementation of the policy for the school council seems mm -hmm. like a no brainer. Um, but so does the invitations ending up as a next action to make sure there is some follow up. Mm -hmm. Other questions or comments? Okay. And hearing no more, uh, do I have a motion to approve I the will, B section? I will move to approve the entirety of the B section. So moved. Oh, so, no, second. second. Sorry. <laughs> My bad. And all in favor? Aye. Aye for me, 5 0. We are moving on from the Bs. Wonderful. Good work. Policy Thank you. Approved. <laughs> okay. Fantastic. So now we're on to item F2, which is our MCAS updates. Mr. Follin, Mr. Fogel, and Principal Sperling are going to help provide that. Welcome and thank you. So as they get set up, 
uh, Mr. Sprung and Mr. Fogel have prepared a, a presentation. It's probably uh, the first phase of a presentation around MCAS. This is not results. Uh, what hit the news right before the start of school was the adjustment to the threshold for passing score for, for MCAS, which applies to the high school level. Take it away from here. Thank you, Mr. Um, that's exactly it. Uh, not long ago, Commissioner Riley of uh, the Department of Education uh, had announced that he's going to uh, elevate the minimum passing score uh, for our high school students uh, in math, English, and science and technology. Um, what I hope to bring to folks today is to expand on that uh, rationale, provide a brief history of where we were, what the new scoring metrics and models uh, had become, uh, a bit of a pause on that, an expanded interim scoring model, and then what his uh, most recent decision um, had afforded our students. Uh, as recently as 2018, our students were assessed on the legacy standards and scored on the legacy scoring model. In 2018, the average for English and language arts for our 10th graders broke down into categories of advanced, proficient, needs improvement, and failing. You can see the percentages of students that fell in those categories in 2018. What uh, the Department of Education was doing during this uh, testing period for about five or six years prior is they were assessing how recent graduates of the Commonwealth were doing in college and career readiness based on the categories that were designated to the students in their MCAS performance. And they had found that 17% of the state were categorizing as advanced needed a remedial math or English class in college, which mm -hmm. disrupted their four-year pathway to a diploma. Students in the proficient range, 33% needed a math or English remedial course in college. So the state took that data upon reflection, and they said this is really in Congress to how we are categorizing our students. We need to revise the assessment, the assessment categories to really properly uh, measure how they're performing so we can give a great sample to our families. They worked real hard to devise, uh, in conjunction with the next generation standards and assessment, the new scoring categories. And in 2019, this was the average across the Commonwealth for English language arts. So same test, new category, uh, new, new categories and scoring models. And this is much more reflective of what the previous study had uh, been able to demonstrate, that we had about 13% in the exceeding range, 48 in the meeting expectations, that 60, 61% was incredibly consistent with what the previous study had revealed. 31% were partially meeting expectations and 8% are now not meeting expectations. Not meeting expectations means you did not meet the competency determination, which is a graduation requirement. Again, this presentation is specific to the high school only. So the, um, the statisticians and the assessment creators were very excited to see this result because it was exactly what they had hoped to properly assess and categorize students. But they looked a little closer, especially at the not meeting categories. And they recognized we went from 3% not meeting and then next year 8%. And that is that they felt a significant shift in a one-year period to have about three times as many students potentially not meet graduation requirements. So they imposed an interim scoring model. And at the time in 2019, they said, 
through the class of 2022, we're going to amend this model and do an interim scoring. And they came up with the interim scoring for math and English. So in the 2018 category, we had 3% failing. In 2019, we had 8%. They said, okay, for a number of years through the class of 2022, we're going to say you are not meeting expectations on our new model if you were scoring at the old legacy not meeting expectations range. Anybody under that is still not meeting expectations. Anybody in that 5% range now of not meeting expectations is considered passing MCAS, but the student reports that go home are sharing with the families that you're not meeting expectations, but you've met the graduation requirement. So that is the interim scoring model that they had uh, amended through the class of 2022. Then the delays and challenges uh, with the school instructions. It was in this period that the commissioner in his office extended that interim model for two more graduating classes through class of 2025. So our current sophomores are still held to this passing um, category of effort. It's our current ninth graders that are impacted by a commissioner's elevation of the minimum passing standards. What used to be 455 as a minimum passing score in English and 469 in math are going to dissolve for our current ninth graders and both math and English, the minimum passing score is 486, which was the midpoint, uh, just beyond the midpoint of the partially meeting range. So the commissioner weeks ago said, okay, this interim scoring model that we extended through the COVID times will dissolve with the class of 2026. We we're asking that they meet 486 in math and English and 470 in science. Our current 10th graders were the first group to take the next generation science exams. So 470 is going to be reevaluated in, in years to come. See if it can also get to the 486, but it's the first year they need more years to kind of assess that scoring model. So our current ninth graders, when they take math and English next year, will be held to the new 486 standard. We're waiting for like the rest of it. Got it. So that's yeah. the history and historical that's perspective history. of where this we are. Uh, Let's open it up for yeah. questions. Thank you, you are so good at this. Like, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> that's it. I will turn over to Sarbelina for the rest of the questions. Can, can we ask questions now? Yes, Christian? Please. Okay. Um, so I was trying to follow along everything that you were presenting. So 2019, when we changed the scoring model at that time, and even now and moving forward, what are, what are we changing for the inputs that need to happen so that our students are either meeting or when that's the, stat, the, the stats were looked at in 2019 and they've decisions, statisticians, I cannot pronounce that, um, we're so happy to see those numbers. Were we also changing any input from how we're teaching our students so that they would reflect that, or we kept the same? And maybe not specific to Kent. I'm, I'm just, I know it's I, like I, a global. 
I, I anticipate, and I say with confidence, schools around the Commonwealth have um, had to adapt and evolve their curriculum to meet the next generation standards that were being assessed. Okay. Um, so I would say, to answer your question, yes, there was uh, an adaption, a review, um, significant reviews, especially at the high school level, to address the next generation standards, because that's what the assessment was targeting. Okay. And now, so that was 2019. So yes. now we're moving forward to 2026, or well, now and then 2026 that we're gonna have to meet these new standards or being these new groups. What is that now locally to us? What is our plan or are we already addressing this so that we can have our students meet and be in the categories where they're not going to have to take remedial math when they go to college or English or any of those? Sure. Yeah. I think a lot of this, and again, we'll, some of it is we need to see what that first yield is, but I think having knowing what 2019 looked like, even though there was that pause, it gives us kind of that, a, a little bit of a subsample to realize where we need to kind of up our game in terms of the instruction and the, the alignment with the standards. I do think a lot of the curriculum review that was done last mm -hmm. year, um, the new pathways, the benchmarking assessments, I think will be huge for us. Um, it will really give us that extra set of data outside of earlier MCAS scores to see where kids are as they come up through the grade levels, really starting at the elementary. Um, or it's not just going to be, let's wait and see how they do on testing day. We can really start to track that with really, really substantial data all the way up through. Um, filling those blanks with um, you know, supports while they're in school with us, rather than just waiting for test day and then trying to pick up the pieces after. Okay. So is the data that being presented for us today, this is the, the Commonwealth, right? This is not Canton? That's correct. Okay, have we, now that we have data that we love, and we're starting to look at our own data, have we done this model for Canton? Or can we look at some of this data comparable to, the, to us? Yes, to both. Okay. So we have done it for Canton specific, and we've measured ourselves against our peers. Um, the most recent scores um, are still embargoed, but um, we have begun our work to assess how this new metric would apply then to this year's students. Okay. And that's like to come, right? We don't have that data yet. We, it's, uh, it's correct, that's correct. It's okay. embargo data. Uh, in a couple of weeks, the Commonwealth will share when we can publicly display it. Okay. But we have it and we are working with it often. Awesome, thank you. Other questions or comments? I have a question. Yes, um, The current 10th graders, are they being scored for math and ELA off of the interim? scoring right now the so when current they, 10th grader yeah so correct. i'm a current 10th grader yes. so <laughs> when i go to take when i go to take that ela and mcat um, hello, ela and math it'll everyone will be scored off the interim scoring correct, correct? Yeah. yes yeah. made it by a year <laughs> do you feel confident that you can explain this to your peers? Yes. Excellent. Awesome. <laughs> That's the true test. Ms. Moran? So I, I'm curious, in terms of um, the score that will be expected of current year, first year students, our freshman class, what happens, ideally we want to capture challenges before the kids are off, out of Canton High. So what are the, to Ms. Arbelia's point, so things come, the kids have tested next year, things come back, we see problems. What is the remediation in place, and obviously it may not be in place yet, but what is the plan for remediation for those students who might not score? And is there a retake? I'm trying to remember if there's retakes. And so, so what is that process? Again, we're looking at tightening the scores, but then what is the, the subsequent steps that can't yeah, be taking? I think a lot of what we can do now is kind of going back to see where they may have struggled mm -hmm. to this point. 
um, and try to really support them now before the test so that we can sort of upscale them and get them more prepared for that test. Um, I do think by using those benchmarking assessments more consistently will give us a much more accurate kind of read. Emma and I were just talking about IXL today, um, where we can use that in real time and not wait for you know, a once a year test that by the time we get the students and the scores are released from embargo, we're kind of too far down the path already, that these in-house, on-demand, when we need them assessments will allow us to sort of pull out from those individual students where they may be struggling, comparing them to those, the standards um, that we know are gonna be on the MCAS. Um, within there, there'll be those opportunities, whether it's um, you know before and after school extra support, whether it's realigning maybe their math pathways, um, if they're in sort of a place that uh, maybe they skipped over some really important standards to go back and fill in those blanks. Um, certainly anything that we can do over the summer to provide those supports for students as well, um, whether it's true remediation or some enrichment to just help them kind of strengthen where they're a little bit more deficit. Yeah, because I think, I know we have credit recovery for students as they approach graduation for credits. Yeah. So we'll, it sounds like if we don't have something this that formal for sort of MCAS remediation, it sounds like <clears throat> there would be some thought as to how to make that happen. Absolutely, okay. yeah. Yep. And the other, be, I think it would be woven into the coursework, sure. so. Okay. The, other, the other piece, and this is just sort of a completely unrelated, um, the MCAS can also be tied to the the Adams scholarships at, at our public colleges and universities. Do, do the kids know that? I have no idea. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's great. Because that's yeah. the, I mean, it's not just so you can graduate from Canton High. If you get a certain score, you could be looking at free tuition at our public colleges and universities. Mm -hmm. So that's another. And I suppose I feel especially for our freshmen because they're starting to look ahead to start really thinking along those lines of. It does matter. Yep. It does count. It's not just graduation. It also could be a, a ticket, so to speak, to um, you know a, a free college tuition. Absolutely. So, okay. Ms. Cummings. Yeah. So with the scholarships, it's definitely known to some okay. students. Um, I've noticed already um, going into sophomore year, first day of math, it was like you don't just take the MCAS to take it, you can get something beneficial from it. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say this year, people are talking about it more, so people are more aware, which is good. Um, it was touched upon briefly in eighth grade, um, but kids don't care in eighth grade about futures yet. So it is, um, it is talked about, so it is something they're aware of. So my thoughts are, so hearing from you know the student directly, working that back sort of what can Canton High do or what can teachers do so that all the kids are getting that message. Yes. You know, that it's not just if a teacher happens to mention it, how to ensure that all the kids are getting that message and that information and maybe kids might make different decisions if they understand that this could be a pathway to college. So um, I would offer that sort of. I do believe it's part of the guidance seminar okay. um, where it's all of our guidance counselors sure. when they plug into the classes. Students have those different terms through the year, yeah. so they're not necessarily hearing it all the same month, yeah. but over the course of that year, they'll get that same message. Yeah, so that, that sort of repeated yep. um, five or six points of contact before it really kind of sinks in. <laughs> so great, thank you. Ms. Cummings, any feedback on getting the eighth graders to care more? <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, since it's come up, I, and I don't mean to put anybody on the spot, what what is the criteria for the Adams Scholarship? Is it ex like landing in the exceeding expectations score zone, or is it more easily attained? It, uh, the criteria for the Adams, uh, you have three MCAS exams, science, math, and English. You have to be advanced in one. And minimum of proficient in, another, in the other two, and be in the top 25% of your class. 
That's great information. Yeah, yeah. that is. That's not a perfect score. That is. No, it's, yeah, it's, it's attainable. Attainable for a wide swath. It sounds like 25% of the class, technically. Okay. Any other questions or comments? I have one more yes. question. Okay. Um, Keep them coming. Is this just math in ELA, or is this science as well? Um, there, science is also impacted, but it's a different score. It's okay. so they're they're starting um, in their first year of this. While well, math and English have been pretty consistent, uh, math and English need a 486. Science needs a 470. Okay. So I know freshman year is when you take the science MCAS. Is that on the what scoring is that? Is that the 2019 scoring or the interim scoring? Um, you you are a member of the first class with the next generation scoring. Okay, so when we got those scores back, they're from the next generation Correct. scoring. And let's say, obviously, hopefully most of the students are passing, but those students, they'll retake it with this new next generation scoring as well. That's correct. Okay, thank you. All right, wonderful. Thank you for that succinct and very informative presentation. Appreciate it. Can I just close out for yes. So mm -hmm. Mr. Scrolling, uh, he and I have talked with Mr. Fogel. We'll, we're going to have them come back in the, the fall. Um, this is obviously late summer news. Um, it's not surprising when I heard the commissioner speak at the superintendent conference, he really made a, a, a re-emphasis on teaching and learning as we, we move out of COVID protocols and a lot of the restrictions that's there. Um, you know, for him, Commissioner Riley came in and, and wrote a, a really great entry plan, and it was really around uh, doubling down on on achievement and teaching and learning mm -hmm. in that process. So for him it was, um, that was three years of things they didn't expect to see with, with everything COVID and really wanted that priority. And this is, you can see the progression through the years that this was on his desk to put forward and can, you know, commit to a goal. I think every school, we wanted to make sure we get it out there and acknowledge it and kind of offer some explanation, but the team wants to, to use the, the start of the school year a little bit to come back here and game plan on, on some of the questions that we touched on of how do we um, make sure our students are set up for success. Um, I believe you mentioned that you, you brought this up at grade nine orientation, mm -hmm. right? Um, so we're letting families know about it, but I think there's an important part to say, this is a change, this is a higher bar. How are we gonna make sure that we're preparing folks, um, you know, just on a regular basis, on an intervention wise, uh, because this is a significant jump and the, the, the element with high school MCAS is it is tied to your your diploma so there's a lot at stake um, so we want to make sure we prepare everyone really well. Mr. Fulon to your point I think you started by mentioning that our team will come back your team will come back mm -hmm. to the school committee once we have more data is that what you're going I don't want to put words in your mouth is that what you're going to say? Yeah two things or? one one uh, you know, as Josh said, the data that we have is embargoed. We can't have it go out public. That's happening soon. That's one part. Um, uh, Mr. Fogel is, is so good at it. There's there's some elements where we can see trends of student performance, so we can identify students that may see challenges. We can do overlays of, of where we may compare. We can look at comparative talent. We can do a whole bunch there. But then there's also the the instructional moves, the everything that has been mentioned. Um, just as far as action steps, programmatically, what we can do. Um, so that package needs a, you know, some development. Uh, so that we wanted to get this out there for the public and have an understanding and then come back with some action data and um, instructional moves. 
Thank you. Okay. Thank you both. So the next item on the agenda is F4. That's our MSBA update. Mr. Fallon, Mr. Marshall, anything new to share? Oh, I apologize. Um, yep. Uh, item F3, our district goals. Yes, thank you. Stop taking notes on my agenda. present uh, the 2022-23 district goals uh, that we're really proud of uh, and really serve a, as a, a really strong shift of, in level of improvement uh, in the district. Uh, you know, last year we had district goals. We had a number of goals that uh, had a, a number of different target areas and I think we accomplished a great deal. Uh, one of our big learning points is we have our strategic framework that has some guiding pillars in it. Um, and we really wanted to make sure that we looked at that data as a team, uh, and we did this in July, uh, and we took multiple pieces of it, and, and really gave it a hard examination of what rose to the top as far as acceleration points that we needed. As I talked about uh, to the committee and on behalf of the administrative team and the work, the work was a, it was a lot of fun, it was meaningful, um, it kind of brought us together as a team and, and then sort of a, when you have a, a common purpose um, rise up in an understanding and an evolution of how we use goals, uh, it, it was a really great experience. We had great facilitators uh, um, and Scott Borstel, a former superintendent from Marshfield, Gary Maesta, former superintendent um, in Hingham and Plymouth, and uh, Pam Gould, who's former superintendent in Sandwich. Uh, they all have strategic planning experience and uh, are recently uh, just out of the position of superintendent and doing this work themselves. They guided us over the course of the two days. Uh, they consulted us with us beforehand and afterwards, and they're returning to us in December and in January to start a longer-term three- to five-year uh, long-term planning, strategic planning process. What we asked of them is to help in the interim until that process starts is to really establish strong uh, district goals, ones that are very, very specific, meet the SMART criteria, that are attainable, that are focused. Um, as we looked back, we, we saw goals that were really rather abstract and visionary, um, but not as specific. Things that we learned and we talked about is using our data uh, throughout it. So our strategic framework, our survey feedback, um, our own voices with one another, the entry plan uh, that I presented to you, report of findings, feedback from uh, my evaluation, also an additional document of goals and priorities uh, that school committee members have brought forward and heard from the public. All of that was considered by our team and our facilitators. And you have to make difficult choices when you have goals, because um, one of the things that they did a really nice job is, you know, you have four different buckets. We learned this at the superintendent's conference, and it's worth mentioning, right? There are topics like transportation. 
which are really bubbling up and they re require a lot of attention. And, and we have those. We have the daily operational elements. We have a bucket of improvement, and that's where our district goals, goals are located. And then we have our wellness of our staff and, our, and ourselves. So that's how we looked at it. When I talk about these goals here, these are our, our points that we identified that either do not exist or we all recognize through our data review and feedback that they need to rise up and either come together in a more comprehensive way and or be accelerated to the point where they're a point of pride. As we go through the action steps uh, in accomplishing them, it really becomes the fabric of what we do. And I'll give some examples when we do it. It will come off and be our, our natural practice. But it, whatever realm you're in, whether it's a municipality like this, school department or business, there's areas that are identified, they get full attention. It doesn't mean other things stop. That's the operational side. Uh, and we also have our individual goals, but for a district, these are some uh, goals that we have that we feel we can show some real improvement for our families, our students, and our staff. Uh, and again, they're not just uh, summertime thoughts. They are a deep analysis of our, our year past. So with that, um, one, I want to thank the team, especially those members here that took part in this uh, and all of our administrators uh, that were, were part of that summer retreat. And I'll move forward with us and, and presenting them. So first item here, you'll see just the setup and, and structure of these. Uh, they are built out in pillars, uh, and these pillars are drawn and adapted from our strategic framework. So priority number one, pillar number one, achieving educational excellence and equity for every student. Uh, so this is really where student achievement sits uh, in the moves that we make to make sure that happens. You can see the objective and focus and rationale that's coming from our strategic framework. What we added was our theory of action, which is if we do this, then we hope this to happen. And I'm gonna, I'll come back to that in a moment. But our district goal here for this particular pillar is by 2023, the Camp Public Schools will complete an equity audit, analyze the findings, and identify strategic goals based on the findings and recommendations. So as we announced several months ago, this was a goal uh, linked back to last year. Uh, we did vet several companies. We established with one. Um, they've been incredible, and we are set to launch uh, and engage our, our public. We've been meeting with them through the summer, and they've had some entry-level interviews for that purpose. Um, for this particular uh, goal, there's an element that we have identified whether it's looking at data or listening to the voices of our community. We have a community that we have to ensure that we're having successful outcomes for all of our students. When we talked with the equity audit, we said we're looking for a definition of equity or that what's that purpose of going through it. It is a quite simply to make a very authentic, uh, independent look at data to hold a lot of forums and focus groups and community so we hear the voices and experiences. And a big key part of equity, uh, one is ensuring that there's successful outcomes for each and every student. And really finding what the needs are of those particular students and also uh, learning about the barriers uh, that exist that can prevent someone from having a successful outcome or having a trajectory of growth. One of the things that, that we have come to understand really greatly 
through our own training within the district, but just through the conversations with uh, the public consulting group who's doing the audit, is, you know, one important understanding is that our district is made up of a variety of people with all different cultures and backgrounds and life experiences, financial circumstances, all of that. And as a, as a public school, it's our job to make sure that they're all getting what they need. And it's really difficult. We can make assumptions. We can have biases. We can have a number of things that block us from fully understanding um, what allows one to be successful and what might be a barrier to being successful. To spending time to, to really see what different groups and what different students are experiencing and how they're achieving, but also just where they are with regard to their sense of belonging, uh, where they you know, fit within our culture, uh, their feeling of value. All that makes a difference and really sets the stage for great successful outcomes and, and learning. Um, this process is going to be a lot of opportunities to, to talk through uh, the experiences here and talk through areas where we can improve, areas where we're doing really well, areas of identifying barriers that we may not see. Um, there will be a longer presentation on my part around the equity audit as far as an introduction, uh, but one of the elements, there's some surveying that's happening, there's some focus groups that are coming up, and, and this is a timeline that outlines that work, the key action steps that are there. Um, I think we're going to find it and find it be incredibly grateful. The recommendations are going to play into our long-term planning and our strategic uh, work moving forward. It will play into our budget discussions. It's really going to give us a fresh look at uh, how we serve our students really well and our families really well. So we're excited by this. So what we said here is if we engage in an equity audit to comprehensively analyze data and experiences to all stakeholders in our school community, then we will have strategic recommendations and systematic approaches to ensure successful outcomes for all students. So we're excited for that. We're really, really pleased with the group that we're working with, and that is the first goal. Second goal, uh, second priority pillar area is cultivating climate, culture, and community engagement. And for this one here, this goal is by 2023, the Camp Public Schools will implement systematic, consistent, and proactive approaches to address student behavioral needs, promote respectful and responsible relationships, and enhance a culture of student accountability. So this is about student behavior, and it's about having high expectations for it. It's about about uh, communicating them to making sure that we have proactive means, uh, that we have progressive research-based approaches to working with kids and, and getting the best out of them, uh, to knowing that there was an impact on COVID, on uh, emotional regulation, especially for our younger students, and how to work and address what they need. You know, behaviors of a kindergarten and first grader are different than that of secondary students in middle and high school. Um, but last year we saw an incredible impact on it. We wanted to name it in our staff survey and parent survey, truly, this emerged as really an area to say, please, pay attention, work with this. Um, and it's certainly not the approach, uh, maybe from 10, 20 years ago, where it's just looking at someone in the eye and say, I need you to behave better. It starts with relationships. It starts with having a plan. It's setting high expectations from the beginning and having conversations of accountability. I know Mr. Sperling mentioned that um, Mr. Small has had some conversations with students. Some have been get-to-know-you conversations, and some have been, we're back to school, 
and I need you to be accountable to your actions. This is not how we want to start school year. And that's done in a respectful way. Uh, we're opening up our, our years with uh, group sessions, and I've been very pleased because it's been an intentional element to say we want to hold you accountable, we want to care for you, we want to have our relationships and know you well, but behavior that undermines what we're doing here and harms the community and disrespects all the students is not acceptable here. So there's been a lot of work here. Uh, it's been done. You've heard some mention of it within the student handbook uh, in that progressive work. There's also been professional development already for restorative practices. We can't wait to talk more about that um, because that ends up being really powerful. It's more pro it says restorative, so it, you inherently think, okay, it must be after the fact. It's more uh, proactive than it is uh, reactive. So with this, uh, if we develop a proactive and systematic approach to overall student needs, then we will see student behavior and school culture improve specifically in the following two areas of metrics. All right, so here, here's for this one. We understood in looking at goals, there is success around completion of the action steps, but then also we have an understanding of we have to identify metrics that show level of impact. Um, Thankfully, having Mr. Fogel, he can identify a few that we want to have for target areas. But it's also, it's something, these are a couple that we're putting out, but we might show more uh, and just say, you know, here's, here's what we're seeing for improvement. So he identified some community survey. Um, our goal, a goal of 80% uh, responses will be in a agree, strongly agree category who asked to reflect on their student school culture and experience. And it's currently at 76%, so we want growth into 80 Another one, for example, 60% of staff agreeing, strongly agreeing when they seek support for student learning needs. Uh, so we want to move that up into, excuse me, into 60%. It's currently at 52%. So these are a few metrics that we just identified that could possibly give us an indication. We know from, from data uh, around student behavior we'll have others as well. But that's the whole point of the theory of action, to have some uh, tangible metrics. Yeah. Agree strongly. Agree when they seek support for student learning needs, they get it. Like what, they get how, it. how does yes. the sentence, sentence end? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. They they are able to receive it. Yes, definitely. and that yep. has to do um, specifically with staff feeling supported, Correct. which is great. Okay. A responsiveness to it, and yes. So you see the, the level of action steps there associated with that one. Pillar number three. So this one is achieving educa educational excellence through effective teaching, learning, and leading. Uh, this is a really, really key focus area. Uh, part of the opening talk was an elevation of our, our learning that we expect uh, we're coming out of COVID. We know that there are learning needs. We also know we're a district we, we want to to raise to a higher level. Um, it starts with teaching and learning and leading. Um, and we're all responsible, no matter our position, for this. Uh, so this area actually had two goals, and we just felt it was really important. You get, you get coached to have one goal per pillar. We really thought that this one needed two. It was just 
too important uh, not to do that. So for this one, the Camp Public Schools will build system structures and capacity to use data to drive high quality instructional design, meet the differentiated needs of students, and increase student achievement. So no surprise here, this is the Mr. Fogel. Thank you for coming on and inviting us into uh, your analysis. He's already been able to show us where we have standards that we're not meeting the mark on, uh, trends over multi years. Uh, and I think from a teacher's perspective, you're often encouraged to use data to inform your instruction. The capacity of a, of a teacher to meet the needs and, and provide good instruction and then do deep level data analysis, it's not gonna happen. It's not even gonna happen for a principal. That's why we're so thankful for the support for the position that Mr. Fogel's in because he can do all that front end work, build his dashboards as he does, and sit down with the teacher and really walk through um, where things are being met, where there needs to be room for improvement. Um, and again, show principal trends and really get a, a strong snapshot of, of where they are. We hope by the end of this year uh, that we have our educators and our administrators and everyone in the district really have some level of exposure and build this capacity to know and use data incredibly well. Um, that's gonna happen, it has already started, and it, it really does allow you to adjust your curriculum, inform uh, your instruction, and how you might work with particular students. So it's critical, and we expect this, again, it's gonna come offline and be part of who we are, but there's an area where we, we need to get acclimated and use it and see how, the, you know, how powerful it can be. Next one here is Canton Public Schools will create a vision for high-quality curriculum planning, instruction, uh, and assessment across the district. So one element that we found, especially in um, the report of entry findings, was we know that there's value. We know that strong instruction leads to strong uh, or high student achievement. Um, but I think if you asked all of our educators across different levels, we might get multiple answers about what what that high quality instruction looks like. And that's okay, it's not cookie cutter at all for sure. But there are tenants that I think we want to identify, identify an identity within the district uh, around how we approach instruction, what is from, what's some strong instructional design moves that we have consistently that allows for good routines and continuity from teacher to teacher, but also allows for a lot of creativity. And one of the things that from the student forums Students often said we really appreciate uh, interactive activities, um, so engagement activities. And, and as they talked about it, uh, one, one element is moving away from any sort of just delivery of information and consume this and then we test on it. What they really talked about and articulate is when they learn best, right, is when they are empowered, when they have some choice in it, when they are allowed to try to make sense and research and have inquiry around uh, the work that they do uh, and have collaboration in that and oftentimes reporting out on it, writing about it, having to read uh, whatever the particular topic it is, that they are the sort of the center of the engagement and center of the learning. Uh, so where does all that happen? So a lot of this is about us getting into classrooms, having conversations with teachers, placing an emphasis on instructional design, knowing that uh, that does matter, that intentionality does matter because you're gonna design it according to some really best practices and you're gonna design it according to the students who are in front of you and you're gonna design it with the data that you have in mind. 
when we're, we hired a lot of people this year, and you always ask that question, like, what do you think about when you strategize your instructional design? When they give that answer, it starts with really best practice. It starts with the students in front of you. I know we're going in the right direction. And it starts with some intentionality. So being an educator nowadays is not easy, but research will tell us our focus on instructional design will pay dividends with this. Um, and again, really the hope is this is to, to articulate and create this vision uh, for because I think that will help everyone know what we're all about. We can talk about it when you're hired as a new teacher. It will also give us that identity um, and I want that to be something that is a driving force for us. So just going back to the top here for a sec. So this one here, if we implement the structures and best practices to analyze student data and construct a shared vision of high quality instruction and inform instructional curriculum and assessment design, then the school community will see an achievement increase of three to five percent of our students meeting or, or exceeding expectations on the 2023 MCAS. That's something I left in there. We're working on it. Um, we want to have that variable of percentage because we really didn't have MCAS yet. Um, you know, Mr. Fogel was guiding me as far as what was a realistic bump uh, and increase. We didn't have the data at that point. So that variance is, is something we want to land on. Um, and I don't mind, to be honest with you, I'd rather be aggressive with our goals than, than not. Um, and if we come up a little bit short or if there's, there's something that, I'd rather shoot for something that's higher than, than not. Um, that being said, that three to five percent jump you might look at as small to make that uh, in the realm of an MCAS score is pretty significant. And the last one here, the last one for this particular pillar of management and operations is regarding our SIS system. We've talked about this. Uh, again, it's a carryover from a last year goal, uh, but this is the timeline. Uh, we just had a, a preview and discussion of what the committee would look like, but a student information system review is critical. So I just want to share how important this is. We have an SIS system uh, that we think is, you know, is something that uh, we have used for a number of years, but we feel like that we're going to put it out and entertain others uh, to see you know, if there's something better out there. We were looking for more integration, better user face with our families, better user face, uh, interface, I should say, with our educators. But even just talking tonight around communication and transportation uh, and the ability to, to communicate with the highest, this is why we're doing it. We, we know little bits of feedback. And if you're not in education, you're like, what's an SIS system? It, it is the, the center point of all the data and, and entry points that uh, that folks have. It involves grades, it involves communication, it involves um, programming and booking, and it just covers so much um, transportation information. So we wanted to give this a hard look and make sure that we had the, the strongest system possible. This is a major lift. There's already been an operating uh, cost, uh, a budget item to help fund this. It's not a major lift on the financial front. It's the data migration to make sure we have good data going over. I went through this when I used to work in Franklin. I came to Canton. We, we went from Redeker to Aspen. It is a major period of acclimation just on using a, a new program. It took us a little bit. Um, it's a big uh, 
a big lift for those that do scheduling within the district. But we found that they partner with you, you go through it, um, and once you're using the new program and, and get yourself acclimated and do the learning with it, it was so far improved. Um, so I just, I just say that because the work that's laid out here um, might be a series of action steps. It is hours upon hours uh, for the staff to do, but it'll be worth it. So the, those are the areas. SIS system, um, review and improvement, right? Getting a high quality um, vision inset with regard to instruction, curriculum, and assessment. Be having great capacity to use data to inform how we work and to meet student needs. A goal around improving student behavior and systems to make that uh, so that they can be as successful as possible in our, our environments of learning are as uh, strong as they can be. And also meeting the student needs, knowing that, that, that students go through quite a bit and growing up is, is part of what we, you know, what we are and what we love and supporting them along the way and having a philosophy and approach that is fantastic. Uh, and the first one, the first priority there around the equity audit and the recommendations that have come from there. So those are our district goals. I certainly can take some questions, and uh, this is something that would require a vote. Thank you uh, very much. I'll just start by saying I know we're all, to some degree, very familiar because we've been engaged in the process. I want to thank you for uh, doing that as, as part of this journey. I will say that... Um, the new, the new format uh, with some of the additions such as theory of action and some more, more measurable and specific information around um, the, the key actions and the focus and rationale I think uh, is logical. Uh, it's very current in terms of the way that um, uh, we, we hope that school systems will communicate. I think it, it allows for other people if this document were to travel to better understand what we're doing. Um, in what is uh, supposed to be an at-a-glance format, and there's a lot here. So um, I want to say thanks for that. Um, I think the, the key piece of information is that these district improvement goals are meant to be accelerators. And do we believe that these are the acceleration points considering the myriad other um, responsibilities that everyone has in the administration and teachers and educators around the work they do every single day. That continues. And then there are, as you mentioned, the, the items that pop up that are urgent that need to be solved as well. So we can't make everything an accelerator. We can't make everything urgent. So having identified these, I think, um, as accelerators make a lot of sense. They grow out of the district um, improvement goals we had last year. And there's, they, they're the underpinnings that create a really strong foundation for future growth, um, particularly knowing that we've got a five-year um, strategic plan upcoming. So uh, for me, uh, really um, proud and happy to see them. I think they're ambitious. I think it's take some thoughts to name some numbers. And I think uh, whether, <laughs> and, and, I, and I appreciate you shooting high because why not, right? Um, and then the other thing that's just, to me, woven throughout is that many of the action steps build culture on a number of levels. So it's, it's not stated explicitly, you know, because maybe it's not under a pillar, but when you look at the walks and you look at the way that we're thinking about improving communication through the SIS or we're looking at really deeply better understanding what equity looks like in the district, um, all of these things really help us, um, I think, 
come together in a way that maybe we haven't before. So um, I just, again, want to say thank you and, and I guess ask a question that I, I think I know the answer to, but it's worth um, hearing in that in this format, and that is uh, the plan for updating and how the committee will be able to, um, and, and the, the community will be able to be brought along in the progress for this. Um, how does that look this year versus uh, maybe how we did it last year? Is there any change um, in your mind, et cetera? Yeah, thank you. Uh, a couple of couple of things we learned in research is, I think the agenda item reports and updates are a great way for accountability and just public discussion of them. Mm -hmm. um, but the other aspect of this, working in conjunction with Mr. Fogel, is we, we want to have a dashboard that we let folks that they can reference just quickly to this and say this has been completed, um, you know, this is in progress, and, and have a visual uh, to some of the districts that, that have that available. And, and for folks just to, to see that, that a point of progress with it, and then you know, as the year goes on, if there's documents that show some level of completion or, or a link that, that can accentuate what that is, just keep putting those as we go through. Uh, I think a little bit more of an adjustment. You know, last year, it was in a completely different format, and it didn't have the timelines, and it didn't have sort of the focus areas with regards to this, but I think um, both on a digital sense, being able to look at a document that has some indicators of like where we are with it around completion will be helpful. Yeah, that, that's terrific. The last thing I'll say is uh, you've identified these you know, with, embedded within the theory of action, sort of what the the measurable target is, in a way. Um, it's not lost on me that you, you said there may be other indicators. And, and, and just because they're not here doesn't mean you won't be looking at all sorts of data. We're, we're glad to, to have um, the district focus on this now. Not as the only point, but um, just want to say it also makes sense that all of that is not here now. We have faith that, I, I have faith that uh, as we kind of get brought along on the progress report, um, there may be some other really interesting um, um, ways you look at progress or decide to um, and or areas for you know to change mid-course because something is not working sure. and, and yeah. just want to again um, say I think this this is really working at least from my perspective comments questions from the committee any others Ms. Moran so I, I, I'm gonna echo this um, Ms. Miranda, the fact that you have the theories of change, I think that was certainly something that we discussed in the workshop, and I think that if-then mm -hmm. construction that, again, and anybody who's a parent, you realize early on, okay, if-then, so I think to have that idea of, of this happens and then it happens, I think is really helpful, because it, it, it makes it clear what the goal is and how we get there. And two, as well as um, having those markers of goals of improvement, percentages, I think, and that's, again, something we talked about, the SMART goals that we heard about, including those things within, so that everyone can measure. We can measure if we know where we're starting, we know where we want to go, and how do we get there. So I think that's very, very helpful. Those are, I think that was uh, feedback you got from school committee, and, and thank you for taking that. Oh, thank you. <coughs> just a couple of quick questions, I just, just so I understand. Under number uh, two, Priority two, the um, hand. Uh, do we have a handbook review committee now, or would be established? We do. Okay. So at the secondary level, <coughs> they they help them. You saw a lot of uh, mm -hmm. work together right. in common language. So mm -hmm. 
one of the things that they did last year was they did have a standing um, review committee, and, and part of that um, was one with the attendance piece of it. Obviously, we, we want to see some of the particulars cascade uh, to GMS. But yeah, they did a lot, a lot of work there. Um, and then now that we, one of the things that we know, when you go sidetrack and answering this a little bit, mm -hmm. we spent a lot of time with handbooks on the summer here, mm -hmm. right? And the, the handbooks, if we keep a committee going through, you, you kind of have what's happening in your school against the language, and you, you're figuring out, is that, is that the right language, or are we missing something? And if you try to intuit at the back end, it ends up being a big-time summer project. So our goal is to kind of continually look at uh, items through the year and keep an eye on it, because as I did some research around school improvement plans, this element of like where and how is it presented, you know, it's it's something that the district goals really should be solidified of June. You know, they get refined. It allows our buildings to work on school improvement plans and refine them through the summer, right? To kind of move everything up. So it's twofold. One, just good practice to have handbook committees reviewing and, and looking at it while you're while you're working with students, but then it also makes time for the the planning. Yeah, I think that setting. I think that sounds great. Yeah. Will it roll down? Will the handbook committees roll down to the elementaries as well? Yeah, yeah. There's we want to see what that particularly looks like. Um, one thing that uh, Assistant Superintendent Sarah Shannon has been working with and Deborah did it for a number of years uh, through COVID mm -hmm. is just holding meetings for our elementary level uh, for a variety of topics. But um, handbook discussions will be part of it. So we got to design sort of what that looks like there. Yeah. But, and that. Um, the greater continuity that we can have between the levels works. Yeah. I think it sounds like a good time management as well. Rather than trying to figure out what were we thinking three months ago, yeah. do it in the, in the moment, so to speak. In terms of the standing SEL committee, yeah. um, will anything come out sooner rather than later? And um, I know there's a report. So only because I've, we've heard from our teachers that they do need SEL support now, so I'm curious if that's as it's established, will they be? How is it going to work? Is it going to be over the course of the year? Just because again, we, we know there's the, the need. There's a need now. Yeah, yeah. You want to jump in? Sure. I'm sorry to put you on the spot. No, that's fine. When you become down here, you have to come down. Have the company. Ms. Burns in charge of this. So, what I would say is, yes, there's an immediate need. Mm -hmm. Having an adjustment councils for a second year. I think provides the level of support that, that's needed there. Um, the secondary had some of those personnel people in place, um, but one thing through the entry plan to find the amount of feedback that said, "Well, what do you use for SEL curriculum? We use this. We use this." We have like four bits and pieces going on right now, um, and what we know is best practice is that there's sort of a unified approach because this language evolved, this technique. Instruction. So that being said, I'll turn it over to you. So um, we have done some of this work in the past, and it never really lifted off the ground as far as coming up with that scope and sequence, pre-K to 12, about what we want to target, who's going to own it, um, you know, and, and really map it out in a way that feels cohesive, and that we're covering things. Um, and so the the biggest objective right now in the moment is establishing a small shell committee I've been working with. Um, Mr. Hughes, the Director of Wellness, and Dr. Chamberlain here. 
um, you know, as our counseling director and just sort of let's go back and look at what we had done before so we're not reinventing some of that um, and then developing who we need to be on that committee right away. So we've been um, looking at who should be involved in that again and just trying to emphasize keeping it small and then we'll go out into the respective buildings, gain feedback with that smaller group um, and hopefully be able to make some recommendations. I can tell you that we've already looked at some legwork with things and trying to say, you know, pre-K to eight, having some kind of um, specific curriculum that we are following and, and vetting who's gonna implement that and how it's gonna look. And then nine to 12, looking at more thematic units um, and how we can support our students using the wellness department in that area. And then elementary and um, middle school kind of living as a more robust direct instruction model because we want to build the skills uh, sooner rather than later. Right. And I would say, you know, as far as the things that we're doing now currently, even just now, I mean, we're looking at, we, we are doing some of this. We're not naming it and we're not making it um, consistent. So I do think that we want to not throw away some of the things that have been successful. Like, you know, some of our kindergarten classes are really invested in social thinking curriculum and um, we have a good vehicle to do that. Um, and I think the kids benefit from it. I think the classroom teachers appreciate it. So there are things that we don't want to abandon, but we need to solidify it and make sure that we're really covering all of the different competencies in social and emotional learning that we need to. Okay, thank you. Yeah. So I have, I have a, just looking for some clarification. Under priority three, um, talking about uh, design of structure in terms of a calendar. So it's referencing um, including additional early release days for staff. So that would be, I guess, for the 2023-2024 school year. So if we approve this tonight, is this committing us to to those days? Because I think we, we need some more input. We need stakeholder input because this is going to impact families. And oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I think one of the, you know, the internally, we, we've talked about structures to, mm -hmm. to make sure that our professional development uh, is what we wanted to be. We've looked at some different models. Uh, it was one of the charges uh, from the calendar committee as well, and part of their feedback to, to do that. Um, I think we wanted to name that because that's been important. It's also been a key part of the discussion of the Professional Learning Council. Mm -hmm. uh, but there has to be an, an outlay for you as a committee mm -hmm. to see uh, what we, what's our instruction for our time, um, what are some other uh, you know, there's great benefit when you when you talk about it from instructionally in, in staff development, and we see it as a model within really high performing districts. But you get you still got bottom line authority with that calendar, um, and the amount of time, and that that would be a significant shift for the community. I think it would be really good for for students and really great for our staff. But it has to be calibrated up against the calendar in that discussion. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that by approving the district action goals, we're not committing ourselves <coughs> really almost two years in advance. <clears throat> to that schedule, okay. And the, the final question I have is just around the walkthroughs, or the learning walks. Who does those? Is that teachers? Like who? Who does? Who's on those walks, so to speak? Yeah, it was done a great deal by Ms. Rooney. She, um, we've all done them at, at, at certain points, but if you do them systematically, um, she would do them. Last year there was a big focus. Um, as we talked, we I don't know. Maybe you'd see this thread. We wanted to make sure that we were truly like a, a pre-K to 12 district. Mm -hmm. So what, what that is, is an understanding and visitation of, if you're the high school English department head, you're gonna do a learning walk with the department head at the middle school level, 
and, and with Jackie Abrams, and you're going to go visit classrooms in all three different levels, and you, you see the type of instruction that, that happens across those ways. So that's just one example. Okay. Um, representatives and, uh, and teachers and educators from each particular level going through and visit. Um, I'd say that the learning was like off the chart with regard to noticing and understanding. I can tell you from working at the high school level my entire as an administrator, eight years as an English teacher, you, you know high school really well. Um, biggest part of this position, either assistant superintendent, superintendent, is going to pre-K and, and look at how they operate, um, so different. Um, and then going to watch an elementary class and learning there's K to two and there's three to five. And then going to middle school and to see uh, how that works and then coming and calibrating up against the high school. So there's a number of folks, it's about doing the frequency and getting into the classrooms. You develop certain look for's. Um, there's a number of educators, uh, Kim Marshall being one of them, that really started the importance of, uh, I don't know, in the medical profession, there's, there's instructional rounds where you're, you're going and you're watching and you're debriefing and coming back. That's where you start noticing sort of what the identity is and what the approaches are and what we may want to be. Getting in the classrooms and, and seeing practice on a daily basis across different levels is really the goal. It will feed really important information in developing what strong instruction uh, really is and sets the expectation. Yeah, so it really sounds like it, it fosters that continuum of education that we talk about, like where you fit into the overall picture. I mean, you, you know, they have different pieces of it, but they're part of a whole. Yeah. So that sounds great. Yeah. That sounds great. So thank you. All right. If there are no other comments or questions from the committee, I believe this is an opportunity for us to see if we are ready to pass a vote to approve these goals. Yes, if everybody yes. says yes. We don't need per second read or anything. Ready to go. No, I'm good. Great. Um, move to approve the 2022-23 district goals as presented this evening. Second. All right. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Aye for me. Five zero. The 2022-2023 district goals are approved. Thank you very much. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate your you and everyone's work in, involved in this. Really, really sets us off on the right path. Okay. So now, F4, the MSBA update. So this is exciting. I, I should probably let you announce. <laughs> Go for it. I'm going to start it just like transportation, and, and you can finish, okay? <laughs> All right. All right. So I'm going to start because I'm going to commend the work of Mr. Marshall. Uh, as part of our, our steps along for MSBA, right, there's this invitation and there's, there's deliverables that they ask for. And the key one is your enrollment analysis. And uh, Mr. Marshall did that, um, working in conjunction uh, with Shannon, Mr. Mulhern. Right? You take a look at um, how you're trending out in years. And then you submit that to uh, MSBA. Uh, they have their own uh, enrollment analysis team. And they do this professionally. And it's a big moment where you, you sit in a meeting and you calibrate does our local analysis match up with their professional analysis? And we're happy to report uh, that it matched up. But, you know, we saw them smiling on screen, and um, I was just really proud. I was very happy that Mr. Marshall is so so good at that and had a, had a really good sense. Can we clap? Like you said. Right, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> <right>. <laughs> 
Um, so that match uh, unlocked a really uh, great opportunity. So you want to take it from there? Yeah, so um, I think we reported back in March, um, you know, that we had been welcomed into the eligibility phase. Um, luckily, we were well ahead um, because we were already ready uh, to go to annual town meeting, um, get a vote of um, approval for a feasibility study. Um, so we have met um, all but one um, I think at to this point, uh, we I think we need a few more signatures on one piece of paper, which will be our last deliverable um, of the eligibility period. Um, which was initially we were granted 270 days. Um, the deadline for meeting um, all of the requirements was January 27th of 2023. Um, we expect um, no later than next week to be kind of completed um, with that phase, um, and that. Uh, offers us the ability to potentially be welcomed uh, to in October MSBA board meeting um, to potentially move to the next step. Um, so this is uh, fantastic news. We are moving quickly. Um, I will say though, uh, we have continued to say that the, the true funding um, is not you know there for us until I believe July of 2024. Um, with the way that their budgeting and scale works at the MSBA. So we could be, you know, well ahead, but we still will be waiting. So it doesn't mean that, you know, we're building a school next year. We're still um, kind of have to pump the brakes. Um, but luckily, I think we're well ahead. Uh, we did have some other, um, you know, maintenance and capital planning that was not due until the end of August. Um, we were able to submit that through the summer, uh, which was great because we know we have a lot of um, back to school work that needed to be done between now and October. So um, it's really kind of fantastic that we're kind of moving this a little bit off of our plate. We can focus on um, transportation challenges um, and uh, and we'll get, um, get through this. So this is fantastic news. Um, I think the MSBA has been um, a pleasure to work with. Uh, they really kind of keep us uh, moving along, but at the same time, I think they've been happy to work with us um, that we're kind of exceeding, um, you know, the calendar and, and, and meeting their uh, requirements. And so we have a, a, a letter of certification. It has uh, my signature, uh, school committee chair Miranda, and then our select board chair, uh, Mr. Conley, I talked with him about it. Uh, once those signatures are there, we had to do a similar, a similar signature piece at the start of this process. This would end it. Um, and you could tell from uh, us meeting with them, it's on Zoom, uh, that they were excited for us. They complimented our completion of deliverables ahead of the, ahead of the time. Uh, it could be October, it could be, I forget when the next, I mean, December, December. right? So it's gonna be either one of those, um, but they found us to be right on track to enter that feasibility stage, as Marshall mentioned. Um, and what they, what they said uh, in deriving sort of the the headline, the big decision that will happen through the feasibility phase is whether it's a six to eight building, grade six to eight building, or grade five to eight building. If everyone recalls the, the recommendation and some of the work that was done uh, way back when was it was gonna be a five to eight, but one aspect um, that they always do is they, they took it and look at space, um, cost, number of students involved, other in positive impact on maybe alleviating um, some overcrowding at the elementaries. That was the original element of the 5D. But that was their headline that they gave us that they felt like that was an important part. 
Yeah, so um, you know that enrollment projection is around right around a thousand students with a five to eight building. Um, that is a, a very large middle school, um, even for the MSBA. Uh, MSBA likes large buildings, um, but that is a large building. The other piece of that that the feasibility will tell us is, do we have a large enough plot of land to build a thousand student capacity building? Um, and so that's we don't know that um, at this time, and so that will be one of the pieces that we need to look at. So um, we we might have to do some other, you know, that we might end up at a six to eight if we don't have, um, you know, kind of the space requirements for a thousand student building. Um, so that's really what the feasibility study will go through. And it's going to look at the entire town. It's it's not, um, you know, specific to the middle school. We are, you know, pre-K, you know, through 12, uh, we will be doing, you know, a study um, to really look at um, all potential, um, you know, areas. Um, and they also, there's, there's the engineering and there's the, the financial and the, the land. There's also a lot of community engagement during that feasibility time frame because they're, they're so skilled. They, they know that a, a shift in grade configuration for a building is a big deal for a community. Um, and you know, they, they recognize that if it's 18 months during the feasibility phase, a big portion of that is taking a look at different ideas of how a building can be configured to serve the students, acknowledging the different grade levels that are there. Um, they know that community buy-in and understanding around what a building would look like is really important. Um, they, they really do capture it all. Um, they don't just build buildings. They have a really educational lens and they know how communities and parents uh, might think about new things that uh, are in their building. So that was comforting to know and um, they just really, they always just say, we recognize that it's, there's probably hasn't been a discussion around grade configuration in a number of years based on um, you know, your statement of interest in time. So they want to assure us that would happen during that feasibility process. But great news and uh, we're really proud to keep on moving forward with that. Wonderful, wonderful. Any other comments or questions? Yeah, I have a, just a quick question. Is there anything that we would anticipate needing to go back to town meeting for this year? Um, this year, no, unless, um, so the first step of feasibility will be to select uh, OPM, um, which is a project manager, um, mm -hmm. which hopefully we'll see through the entire project. Um, and then we will uh, select a firm to do the feasibility study. If for some reason we're over that million and a half, we're, we need to find some more funds. Um, so that would be the only potential. Um, I, I don't see that um, happening uh, based on what we know right now, but that would be the only piece. And we might be able to fund that um, on the school side without needing to go to town. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Thanks to the team for the responsiveness and um, you know, willingness to really expedite this as much as we can, knowing some of the deadlines are firm. Okay. Uh, moving on to the next item, that is G in our new business. And this is um, an item that I'm excited to be discussing right now, and that's the district start date discussion. Uh, many times, I can't say forever, but uh, in our past, we have not been having this discussion this early in the process. So, um, Superintendent Fallon, will you talk to us just a little bit about uh, what this might mean? Sure. Uh, this is just a quick item, but you know, one of the things that we heard for feedback, um, it, it, it came up from the calendar committee around establishing this, and then as we go through it, 
We, for the second straight year, started uh, with students before Labor Day, um, which is, uh, you know, there's, there's different ways that we can do it. We can have staff back before and then have students start back right on that Tuesday. Everyone start after Labor Day. This year we did uh, a Monday start with staff, two days, you know, professional development day the next day, and then two days with students and gave everyone the, the four-day weekend. Um, heard some really good feedback around it and that design. Um, but what we also heard was, um, no matter how much you announce it, it, it's that, oh my goodness, we're starting before Labor Day. Um, I think most of us uh, uh, went to school in a culture where no matter what the calendar looked like, school started after Labor Day. Um, I've worked in districts where it's pretty customary that you have sort of that three or four days before Labor Day. Um, so it's a little jolt there, and then, you know, folks are planners. They're, they're thinking about vacations ahead. They're thinking about where school might end. Um, we know that's a variable because of snow days. But there has been a request uh, from the community uh, to, for us to, at the very least, establish the start date for the 2023-24 uh, year. Uh, there's a lot that goes into establishing the calendar. Uh, Ms. Rooney is a resident expert with calendars. She's uh, working with her folks to, to give us a couple of examples. We've had talks with the CTA about it. Um, and it's really, uh, I think, a, a good overture for community engagement and uh, to kind of say, look, we're not gonna have the whole calendar done, but we might be in the fall positioned in a spot to have some agreement around when the start date will be so people can plan. Uh, it also gives you an idea of like what the back end will look like and what the holiday schedule will look like. We will have to work in that professional development days and some of the particulars with it, but uh, we thought it would be a, a nice tip of the cap for the community to try and have this discussion start, uh, get some things established, um, look at different options, and then uh, set that start date. So. Terrific. That's where we are with that. <laughs> and so, uh, in terms of timing for when the suggested start date might be brought in front of the committee for a vote, yeah. um, so thoughts say, on that? Say, give us another month uh, to do that. You know, there's, there's uh, our work with the CTA around it, um, then, then also just kind of laying out that, that plan. It might be sooner, but um, I think it's important to, to make sure what we present and it might be some some different options and we can talk about what the committee would like to see is it do some vetting beforehand and come and make a suggestion or is it to kind of look at some different options so but I would say about a month yeah I know this is a, an area where um, families uh, and I'm sure everyone involved all the stakeholders really would appreciate as much notice as possible and it's not the same as understanding what the entirety of the calendar looks like, but the start date really does help folks have a better understanding of the end date and then how to plan out a year. So really grateful that we're at the point where we can be talking about this now as opposed to January, yep. February. Super helpful. I just want to um, echo the appreciation for breaking it out into that bite-sized decision. Yeah. Um, which was always the intention of the calendar committee, right? So it's going to be there are a few things that we might be able to do right away and other things that are going to take a longer period of time. So thank you for that approach. Yeah, it was good, a lot of a lot of feedback. And it's kind of in the same line of the handbook discussion. If we all have had that experience of, of a sense of like, all right, we just started before Labor Day. How to work for your family. 
Did, did the four-day weekend yeah. work? Exactly. Right. It's fresh in your mind. Because <laughs> yeah. in January, you'll be like, did I like that? I'm not sure I liked that. I don't know. Um, so right now, folks have a pretty good feeling. Um, and we can design something and get something on the book. So we want to do that. Yeah, just anecdotally, I've, I've heard a lot of great feedback. And even some who have um, said that at first they were against it, didn't know how it would work now, and then totally understood it and uh, were in support. So. At least, I mean, who knows how we end up with our recommendation and discussion, but the way that it's worked um, this year, it seems to, at least in some of the feedback I've gotten, has been positive. Okay, sure. any other discussion? And we're moving on to the next item, and that is G2, <coughs> and this is our equity audit update. Ms. Shannon is here to provide us an update with the progress. <laughs> Thanks for hanging in. They're on your they're on your <laughs> <laughs> that time of the night. All right. Um, so I'm going to provide you with an update on where we are with the equity audit. Um, Superintendent Bullen actually alluded to some of the steps that we've already taken in his presentation, but I'm going to reiterate them. Um, so we have been working with PCG, um, Public Consulting Group, on the equity audit. We have been meeting with them weekly. I, they are amazing. They are um, inquisitive and curious and insightful, and they keep us on task, um, which has been good for us. Um, we really are appreciating the work that they're doing with us just in terms of how they're engaging with us. Um, from the time we started working with them till now, as you know, but to share with the public, they did have a workshop with several of you where you were able to meet them, get to know who they are, have them share with you what their process is, and also be able to ask some questions of them. Um, and though I was not at that meeting, I heard it went very well. Um, since then, PCG has begun their data gathering. They have given us a request of all of the things that they need. Um, and Josh, who is no longer with us, but um, Josh was able to gather a lot of that data. And combined with what Josh was able to provide, um, Megan Byrne was able to give a lot of data from the student services side, and I was able to give some data from the school-based perspective and with regard to professional learning. Um, so they have all, had all of that for several weeks, and on their end, they're doing a lot of data analysis and pulling things out to move forward with us. Um, in addition, they have been holding either one-on-one -on -one or in one case, a one-on-two interview. Um, they asked us to identify some folks at various levels within the district who they could interview in about a 45-minute interview um, to gather some insight about what's happening in the Canton Public Schools with regard to equity um, and all sorts of equity um, from racial equity to gender equity to um, ability, so everything, social um, socioeconomic status, everything. So they've been getting some really good information in that way as well. Um, the week of September 9th, which is next week, PCG is going to share with us some information that we can use to start a, 
a marketing campaign um, in the sense that we want to start updating families that in the future we're going to be surveying students, that PCG is going to be here on site doing focus groups with administrators, staff, students, and then they're also going to hold focus groups virtually um, for our caregivers and parents and community members. So we want to start getting that information out there so that people are aware, they can look for it, they know, you know, I know they're going to be hosting this group for middle school parents. I want to make sure that I have that date on my calendar. So we're going to start sharing that information soon with folks. Um, between, <coughs> excuse me, between September 19th and October 7th, we are going to be surveying students in grades 6 through 12. So at the middle school level, students are going to um, participate in their survey during an X block. And at the high school level, they actually do school-wide surveys through English classes because English is the one class that every student takes. Um, and so we're just working to settle on dates. But we will make sure that everybody knows that that is happening. We will communicate that out to parents and caregivers so that they know. Um, and they will then, PCG, they will take all of that data and incorporate that into their survey, uh, into their report as well. And then they're going to come here on October 25th. We're going to be able to meet them in person, um, which will be great. And on October 25th, they're going to hold focus groups for admin staff and students. And we'll be working with different building leaders to set up what that schedule looks like. After October 25th, they are going to set the dates for doing their caregiver and community focus groups. They do do them online. They have found that that's more successful because people can access them from anywhere. So if somebody's at work, at, if the one that works for them is at noon on a Tuesday, they can zoom in from wherever they are. So that is how they have found the most success. So that's what they're going to be doing here with us. Um, and then from there, they'll have gathered all of their data and they're going to give us the draft report in January. And towards the end of January, we will have a slide deck presentation of the findings that we can share with folks. And then we'll get a full written report um, that's much more detailed than the slide deck towards the end of March. So that's what's been happening and that's what will happen as we move through in the future. But they've been fabulous. Terrific update. Any questions or comments, discussion from the committee? All right, we look forward to learning more. This is very exciting to have it kicked Sorry, off. I have one. Yeah. <laughs> Just didn't say it fast enough. Um, so this is so exciting. I'm so glad that all of this is happening. Um, in terms of connecting to the broader community, do you have any sense of whether or not they would want to meet with CDEI? Or if connecting to Cynthia, who's the chair, would be a useful perspective. I think what they're going to do is invite folks into their focus groups. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that might be something where we reach out or through you say, sure. you know, this is the right focus group for someone from the CDEI committee to attend. Okay, great, thank you. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. And the marketing materials, the idea that this is all getting kicked off now at the beginning of the school year. Wonderful. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so moving on to item G3, which are our grant approvals. Mr. Marshall, do you have a few <coughs> grants to discuss for a possible vote? 
Yes, um, so I believe you have a slate of grants um, that I've provided. They are in the electronic packet. Um, so the first uh, four are titles one, two, three, and four. Um, these are allocations um, from the federal government that come through us through DESE. Um, so you can see the amounts listed. Um, Title I uh, serves our three elementary schools uh, as targeted assistance schools. Um, it provides uh, reading specialists and tutors, as well as covers some um, costs for family engagement and private school services. Um, Title II is a professional development um, grant and uh, will be used for contractual services uh, for professional development. Uh, Title III is our multi-language learner um, grant and is used um, for a variety of, of different uh, places, but uh, we're still working on exactly how those funds will be used, um, but some additional programming um, will likely come of that. Uh, Title IV, um, we flex, uh, that's a $10,000 grant. It can be used for a variety of different purposes, um, but we actually flex it back into Title I um, to boost our, our Title I uh, programming. Uh, the next two grants, our uh, special education grants, um, the IDEA 240 grant uh, is for um, K uh, to 12, and the 262 grant is for uh, preschool. Um, so uh, this will uh, fund um, a small amount of uh, professional development, um, but mainly will be uh, out of district uh, tuition, and there is some private school proportionate share. At the uh, preschool level, uh, this funds um, uh, EA salaries um, at the preschool. The next four grants um, I would consider competitive grants. Uh, they're not allocations, so these are grants that someone somewhere along the way has applied for and, um, and been awarded. Uh, the first, the ASOS grant, is um, after school or out of school time uh, grant. Uh, so that was used for summer programming that already happened. Um, so that is uh, passed. Um, and then uh, there was a proficiency-based outcomes um, for languages other than English, and uh, those funds are used for testing um, and assessment materials. The Project Lead the Way grant that um, has been happening for a number of years is actually winding down, um, so I believe this is the tail end of, um, of that uh, three-year um, grant uh, monies that were provided. And then uh, we received a Civics uh, Teaching and Learning Competitive Grant um, that will be funding uh, professional development and uh, curriculum program review of social studies. Um, and that will really what that really allows for us is to make that process larger um, and provides funding for uh, 36 teachers to, um, to, to participate in that curriculum review, which is great. Um, so I do ask for a vote tonight. I'm happy to answer any questions um, and the reason it, we do need a vote of approval uh, truly to spend out and to finalize these grants. Okay, thank you. I have just a quick question, yeah. and it's probably um, a very basic answer, but I'm not sure. And that is, to whom are we, uh, should we be uh, grateful for the sort of application and or just funding of these grants year after year? Does it happen automatic? Does it happen at the legislature? Is it somebody, you know, so, here so in Canton <laughs> taking the extra steps? Is it someone at this table? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so the allocations are provided um, and there's a variety of, of process. Um, in the title applications, um, it's truly a team effort. 
Mrs. Byrne, Mrs. Rooney, Mrs. Shannon, um, Michelle Gobi from my office uh, really helps to, to coordinate and kind of button everything up and, and get them submitted. And then she manages um, the reimbursements of these. These are Most of these are reimbursement grants. So we don't get money up front. We have to spend the money and then we have to apply for reimbursement um, monthly based on the money that has been spent. So there's a lot of tracking um, that happens kind of behind the scenes. So it really is a team effort. Um, you know, the special education grants um, working closely with student services office and um, and Michelle Gobi as well to get those done. The competitive grants, which I hope to come back to you with more, sometimes that um, it could be a teacher, uh, a department head that's out in a building that sees a grant and says that, um, you know, this works, um, you know, for when you see a the proficiency-based outcomes for languages other than English, like that is an example where we have a department head that is um, you know, seeking um, grant funding. I would say that most of our uh, department heads are, are you know, actively reviewing, looking at these. We see them in updates that are being provided to us um, and different grant opportunities are provided to us in all different ways and we're always looking to, um, to apply for them if we can. Okay, fabulous. So that the follow-up to that was just, you know, it, so now that I know it is internal and it's through the great efforts of our team, uh, is the sense that we are pretty proficient in realizing all of the opportunities on the table or is there additional support needed to seek grants? Because sometimes that's something that's overlooked and then um, it is one of those functions that in, in any ways could be paying for itself. Yeah, so I would say... Um, we need to start watching closer as we see um, the economic status of some of our, um, you know, of our community change. Um, that is typically um, in, in kind of an eligibility uh, marker for a lot of grants. And so if we're jumping over that 25% mark, it might make us eligible for um, more opportunities, more grant opportunities than maybe um, in the past. Um, but I, I do believe we're, we're doing a good job of monitoring what is out there for us and, and applying for those um, in where we feel like it will truly help us um, and that we will, you know, obtain those grant funds. All right, terrific. It was really a question about resourcing and if, if you, you needed, um, you know, at some point, if you do need additional support, you know, in the form of a person, any percentage of their time against this, please do let us know. Absolutely. Any other questions, discussion from the committee? Okay. Well, if yeah, I know. I would move to accept the grants as presented by Mr. Marshall. Second. All right. All in favor? Aye. aye. All right. It's an aye for me. So the FY23 <coughs> first quarter grant awards are approved. Perfect. Uh, we've already covered public comment, and so now. Back to Mr. Marshall for item I, the Director of Financial Finance and Operations Report. Um, so we did uh, cover transportation. Um, I will be honest, um, when we wrote the agenda, I was fully planning to uh, provide an enrollment update, um, but I do not have an enrollment update at this point. I will um, make sure we send something out uh, early next week. Um, I will state though that we have started making some placements of Hanson K and one students um, at both the JFK and Luce, and um, so far that has uh, worked out well. It is just a small number of students at this point, but um, those are the, the grades where we're continuing to really watch um, class size and make sure that we're able to make some move in, movements to other um, uh, schools if we need to. Um, we are working um, diligently to, uh, to get all students that are still in the, in the pipeline 
Um, as of this morning, I think we still had 30 um, registrations um, that were coming in across the mm -hmm. district. And so we are working um, to get through those. Uh, so uh, that is an enrollment update, but in terms of in, uh, specific numbers, I will make sure that the committee has um, updated numbers uh, early next week. Food service. Um, so uh, we did see some some challenges with food services um, throughout the opening of school. Um, some longer lunch line um, delays, uh, specifically around um, the entering of PIN numbers. There has been a question that has been consistently asked as to um, lunch is free. Why do I have to enter my PIN number? So just kind of want to state that um, the National School Lunch Program, uh, you know, requires us to track our meal purchases. While lunch is free, it is only one lunch and one breakfast uh, that is reimbursed at a reimbursable rate per those meal categories. Um, so it's not like total expenses, we're just reimbursed for what our total expenses are. Um, it's a dollar amount, so we really need to track meals and we need to track meals per student. Um, so that is the reason that it is. it really is important for us to, to track um, and have students enter their PIN numbers. Following COVID after two years of not, you know, I it was, it wasn't just an elementary issue. I know that the lines are longer at the elementary, um, but really students did not remember their PIN numbers um, across the board, and so there has been a learning curve. So um, thank you to everybody for being patient with us, um, to our building, um, again, building principals, um, administration, front office staff um, for helping to support that, and for our food service staff, um, you know, that works hard every day, um, but so. We'll continue to monitor, um, reevaluate, and do what we need to do to kind of make um, improvements in the lunch line. Thank you. And just as a point of clarification, what would a student or family do if they forgot their PIN number? What should they be doing? Asking and the line, going to my school box, what's the proper? Yeah, so they can um, they can certainly ask in the line. If a student doesn't know, they can go up and, and ask in the line. Um, if a parent uh, is unsure of what their student's PIN number, um, reach out to Martha um, or John in the food service office. Again, their information is up on the website under the food service section. Um, either one of them in the office would be able to uh, easily provide that number to you um, over the phone or via email. That's very helpful. Thank you. Anyone else? And I think there was either a mailing or an email that came out to remind students of it. I forget which it was. There before. was. As just to mention the additional touch point that you had. I believe it, there was a paper mailing that went out that was mm -hmm. prior to the start of school um, that did contain that information. So um, there is a possibility that you have um, you know, a piece of mail sitting somewhere that does have that uh, <laughs> number in it if you are looking for Hopefully it. But again, um, if not, certainly reach out. If you're not able to get anybody in the food service office, um, you can always reach out to me and I can help uh, make sure that we get that information to you. Right, terrific, thank you. Um, Mr. Marshall, could you share with the community that students need to take one full lunch and not just a piece? Because that might be helpful to understand. Food is available for everyone, but there is some requirements that we're being tasked to follow. Absolutely. So. Um, uh, for a meal to be um, eligible for reimbursement, um, it needs to be considered a full meal under the National School Lunch Program requirements. Um, so there's five components of a meal, um, and students must select a minimum of three of those. One of the three must be a fruit or a vegetable. Um, so if a student comes to a lunch line and does not have a fruit or vegetable on their tray, that is not a reimbursable meal and technically would not be categorized as a free meal under um, the current regulations. So. 
I know it is uh, super annoying when a student just wants an apple or just wants to grab a milk, um, but that would not constitute being a, a reimbursable meal. Um, so when our food service staff is asking a student, hey, I need you to grab this or I need you to grab this as well, um, they're doing that so that we ensure that we're following um, the guidelines of the National School Lunch Program to maximize our reimbursement. Makes sense. Any other discussion? Thank you very much. So the next item on the agenda is our consent agenda, item J. And we have inside it four items. Uh, number one, regular session minutes, uh, August 12th, August 25th, um, 2022. We have an executive session minutes from August 25th. We have out-of-state travel requests to the All-American High School Film Festival and in STN convention, remind me what that stands for. Student Television Network. Student Television Network convention in Long Beach, California, which is happening um, in March of 2023. And then we have the warrant from September 9th, 2022. Are there any items in the consent agenda the committee wishes to remove for discussion or have a quick question on? One question and one item. <laughs> um, I think it, there are only three items because there was no executive session 825. Because we ended up canceling it. Yeah. yeah. So that's not in there. And I have, it's a somewhat minor shift, but I do have something to add to the 825. So can we pull that out of the consent agenda and we'll put it in next time? Makes sense to me. Anyone else? So I, I do have a question around the out-of-state travel requests. And it's something that we've talked about before. And I don't know the appropriate, how, we, how the community would like to handle it. So I'll pose my question. Um, so I've looked at some of the dates, and there are times that the kids are out of school. Mm -hmm. And you know I don't know how many students take filmmaking, and how many students who aren't going are, are impacted by the, the teacher not being present. But I, I think it's, it's come up in the past. I mean, certainly it's come up around cost. And secondly, you know, to put this in the bigger context of how do teachers traveling with students during the school year, not during vacations, um, impact our students who don't go on these trips? So I just put it forward as to get a sense of the committee's, does the committee want to discuss it? Do we want to take a, a deeper look at that? But I, I you know, I, I do have concerns about, um, not so much this, as I said, I don't know how many students are impacted by a, a filmmaking class, but I'm thinking when we start to get into our, our core li uh, you know, languages and English and history, if we have teachers out of the building for um, extended periods of time during the school year, how does that really impact our other students? So. so do you want to pull this out of the consent agenda? Yeah, we can. I mean, we can pull it out. I, I, what is the committee's appetite for a further discussion of it? I mean, tonight's not the night for it, but I just want to pose that question. What is the committee's appetite to perhaps explore some of those questions? I believe in the handbook with timing, that yep. first one would need to be approved. Right? Yeah, that one's, I just looked at that now. It's, it's, it is tight. Right. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't hold, certainly hold that one up because it's, it's we're, you know, um, but perhaps we get some more information on the second one as part of, because uh, I guess that's next March, I believe. Yeah. So, one, so oh, go ahead, No, I was going to say, so I think um, from a point of order perspective, the answer is yes, we're going to pull this out of the consent agenda since we're going to break up what we're discussing. Mm -hmm. um, so it sounds like we only have one thing left in the consent agenda, in which case I'm not sure well, it's consent no, agenda. We need to approve the 1020 to 1024 because of the handbook. 
the dates, the time frame. We're pulling it out of the consent agenda. To discuss. And then we can vote on it separately. But first we have to decide to pull it out of consent. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay. Okay. So the first step is just to pull it out of consent agenda. And then decide what we're doing with the consent agenda. Then we can go back and vote on that specifically. Are you following? It doesn't seem like you. If we need to pull it out of consent agenda to do that, that's fine. Yes. Yeah, so what I, what I was going to say is I personally am inclined to keep it in the consent agenda, but if the committee wants to pull it, let's pull it. I just wanted to give some bit quick background on the comment that you just made, um, Maureen, which is I think we have said in the past that we definitely need the development of guidelines, mm -hmm. like just um, guidance for the, the way in which we want to try to prioritize decision-making and so forth as it relates to um, out-of-state travel. The only reason I, I would be disinclined to pull it out, and unless there is a ton more discussion tonight, is just that I wouldn't want to hamper the, um, the arrangement for travel knowing how expensive and difficult it is, but I'm open to it. I'm just one person. So to that, so perhaps what we could do is leave it in as is, approve it as, as is, but with the sort of the caveat that we as a committee maybe want to do a next action. Yeah, exactly. Where we're at. Exactly. So that's really, I mean, that works for me. So, so. I think I would be okay with that too. I would prefer to keep it for today and maybe not make it about this tri this mm -hmm. particular trips, but maybe right. like what is this, yes. the guideline or what exactly. we want to work towards in the future. Cool. Perfect. I'm okay with that. Yeah, that's good. All right. So then. So we're just one part. Right. Okay. So, so it sounds like we just pulled the minutes. Sure. So there are two things still in the consent agenda. Yes. So this would be a vote for the regular session minutes, which would be August 12th. Mm -hmm. The out-of-state travel requests as listed in the warrant. Mm -hmm. There's a warrant in here. September 9th warrant. Yeah. In the consent agenda right now? Mm-hmm. Are you looking at the box? No. I'm looking at the actual consent agenda. It's not. There's no... There's a warrant in there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So the, we, that's the warrant we get via email. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So we're yeah. not putting what we're voting on in the folder that we review to vote on things? Well, it's, I don't think it's ever been in that folder. It's never been on that. No. Okay. The warrant always, it's actually July 1st we started, um, Mr. Marshall's office started circulating the warrant. I've always received it. Right. Um, everyone gets it. Yeah, but now July 1st, everyone's getting it, so everyone can take so a look at it. Stop. Okay. Got it. So then uh, we'll, we'll proceed with um, calling for a vote of approval for the consent agenda with the items I just listed. So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. aye. It's an aye from me. Uh, the consent agenda is approved for Item one, regular session minutes, August 12th, 2022. Item three, the out-of-state travel requests as listed. And number four, the warrants dated September 9th, 2022. Yes. Okay, so then moving on to the next item on the agenda, K, which is the update of the subcommittee task force and liaison posts. We'll just go straight on down the, the table. Why don't we start with Ms. Cummings today? <laughs> well, we'll just welcome you back and um, ask if you have any updates for us. Of course I do. <laughs> um, really quick, I promise. Um, this, not this Saturday, next Saturday, September 17th, Mazer is hosting the first training for student representatives. Um, registration is open until Monday. Um, if you have any student reps you know or anyone who would be interested, uh, have them reach out to me or anyone on the interim leadership team. I am the interim director of communications. Um, if you look at any of the social media, all the information is posted there if you have any further questions. 
Right, awesome. And we didn't give you a proper welcome back. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Will, you, will you let us know? Um, so uh, what is the update of um, your post and uh, kind of anything that's changed between last time we saw you and today? Yeah. Uh, both that's maybe taken place and... Yes, so we've been very busy over the summer. Um, we definitely kept ourselves <laughs> working. Um, so this training was a big thing. We have a fabulous interim leadership team that has worked really hard to create this training to really help student representatives, not only new but also current, to help them understand things like finances and what emotion is and how to just what your position will include um, and just help them and give them some tips and tricks from any current experienced student reps. Um, so that's where the training is and then we are also having a delegates assembly in the future where the interim leadership team, um, we will find who the permanent leadership team will be. Fabulous. All right. And as we've said before, as you have um, ideas or key learnings, please share them with us because we're very open to helping uh, shape the role in the way that it's, it's meant to be. Of Best course. practice, so thank you. Thank you. All right, any other updates, uh, Ms. Marshall? Um, no, BRC, I believe, meets next week, or the 21st, mm -hmm. and um, S Sustainability Committee, I believe, is meeting on the 19th. Finance subcommittee met this morning. Um, we thank you for all your ideas that you set forward. The goal being to sort of capture school committees you know, top of mind ideas for potential funding down the line, priorities, et cetera, et cetera. So we met this morning. Um, Mr. Marshall outlined sort of plans for getting the capital stuff rolling, the scheduling, um, that sort of thing. So very productive. Um, and again, getting into the process earlier. As a member of uh, CASA, as a, as a district, um, it was and it's an annual honor to participate in the celebration of life. Um, that was September 1st. Harry Burek um, is the MC and the lead coordinator of that. Um, story about her son is actually in the, the Citizens Today. I would encourage everyone to, to read that. Um, it's a wonderful community event. We had members of our uh, character crew there. They're always ambassadors and they pass out the programs and invite uh, community members and family uh, to sit. Um, there are multiple readings, uh, and as we look at these families who have lost loved ones uh, due to addiction, overdose, um, they come every year and, and fill up that space in front of the, the uh, senior center. Um, it's just a really meaningful uh, celebration that I'm so happy that Canton does every year, and it's an honor to be representing the district there. Yeah, thank you for attending and sharing your remarks. Is that it? That's it. Good. All right. And I will just say, in addition to BRC, we have the uh, Master Planning Implementation Committee meeting next week on the 15th. Agenda to be determined. And special guest. <laughs> so for content and communications, the next week's newspaper will have the ad. Thank you so much for feedback that I got. We made the changes. It was confirmed that the the, um, the sample today that I approved, so we're good. We got approved. Um, the next ad after that, unless anyone has any other ideas, would be the fall sports. So there is a gap in time there. So unless anyone, let me know if anything else comes up in between. Uh, for policy, we talked about that. <laughs> Obviously, we have a meeting again next week to dig into C and EBC, right? EBC, uh, which is EBC Supplemental, mm -hmm. um, that's been revoked 
that was very specific to COVID and providing superintendents uh, some you know, much needed authority to make quick decisions. Uh, but that has been revoked. We just want to go through that process. We're also going through um, DESE's protocols to make sure what we have remaining for protocols are in line with what they recommend. And just to state, uh, I talked with Jim Hardy a couple times this week and as we went back and forth about B section items and it, that time change is fine with them for next Thursday. Great. So we're all set for that. And CCPC, we meet again on Monday next meeting. Awesome. Okay, so from CDEI perspective, uh, the team is very excited that there will be a celebration of the Jewish High Holidays. This is open for everyone. There will be uh, three rabbis will be present and there will be some musical performance. It is on Sunday, September 18th from 2 to 3.30 and again it is open for everyone to come and experience and be part of. And we meet again on Monday. That's it. Um, the School Wellness Advisory Committee will start meeting. We're just going through our schedule. We're going to meet September 27th at 10 a.m. That's going to be our first meeting of the year. And we're going to have three more throughout the year. That's my update. Terrific. All right. Thanks, everybody, for those updates. Uh, moving on to the next item, that is L, other business. Are there any other topics that we have not? I have one. I just yes. want to say I really like the vibe that we are setting <laughs> by having this as our background. <laughs> <laughs> it almost makes it hard. <laughs> it makes everything a little more relaxed, right? Okay, no, that's it. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, moving on, item M, that's future business. Our next open session is scheduled for Thursday, September 22nd. 2022 at 6 p.m. And with that, I get a motion to adjourn. So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. And I for me. The meeting is adjourned. Thanks, everyone.